Hey everyone, welcome to Game Face, episode 242 on Sifted Games at Sifted.net. I'm Shane Satterfield, the founder of Sifted. You can find me on Twitter at Dinfire. Alongside me today to talk about the latest and greatest in gaming is Matt Kyle. What's up, Matt? Happy New Year to you, brother. Hey, Happy New Year. Uh, I, I do believe 2021 may just be two 2020s in a trench coat, but we'll see. <laughs> Uh, a heads up, guys. Um, so Jared could not make it today. And I did not want to do another pre-recorded episode of Game Face that got published later. I wanted to do it live. So I am here right now. I am hosting the show, and I am running the TriCaster. Um, first of all, I want you guys to let us know if Matt and I's audio level is okay, as far as we both sound at the same levels. If we're off... Let us know. If I'm too low, I can turn me up. If Matt's too high, I can turn him down, etc. Just want to make sure that we get the audio really good uh, before we get set off on to the full episode. Also, please give me some mercy today. I am completely freaking out right now. I'm never nervous when we do Game Face. I'm really nervous right now because I'm trying to do something crazy while I host the show. Uh, so give us a little leeway with the production values today. I think it's still better to do this and have the show live for all you guys on Twitch, which, by the way... You guys are flooding us with Twitch Prime right now. Um, it's better to do it live on Twitch and have a couple little issues here and there, at least I believe, uh, than to do the show offline and uh, get it to you maybe a day later. So anyway, that's what we're trying to do here today. I hope you guys had a great holiday season. Hope you're having a great New Year so far. Uh, 2021, despite what Matt says, I do believe will be better than 2020. Maybe towards the end of 2021, I think it'll get better. Uh, but at least us in L.A. here, we're still stuck in this lockdown hell, for lack of a better uh, way to describe it. Um, we haven't really – it hasn't really let up for us, Matt. Like, this whole time, it's just kind of just rolled right on. We've just been locked down for, like, 11 months straight now, it feels like. I mean, the lockdown is optional. Um, I, I had to go uh, downtown yesterday, and you would not know. Like, you, would, the, the traffic's back. The people are back. Like, there's no – Everyone's wearing masks, but like you would not know there was anything unusual outside of the masks. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, it's empty. It like I drove over here, I was like the only car on the road, pretty much. Definitely wasn't true when I was out yesterday. Like it, I, I got stuck in traffic on the ten for twenty minutes, like waiting through shit. Like it's, it's not. Uh, you, know, it, it, you know, but life goes on because the federal government failed to give us the money we needed to survive. So people got to go out and work and and get their businesses to stay alive. So here we are. Yep. Uh, at the, to this morning, the L.A. County uh, health officials estimated that one out of three L.A. County residents has been infected since this started. Yeah, I saw that. One um, out of every three people in Los Angeles has contracted coronavirus at this point, COVID-19. Yep. Um, just looking real quick to see if you guys think the sound is okay. Sounding uh -huh, good. There's, they're saying I was loud. They're saying you're a little loud? Yeah. Um, okay. Hmm. Matt is a touch loud. Okay, I'll bring Matt down just a touch for you guys. Um, a couple things before we get going on the show, and we do have a big episode for you guys today. We have a lot of topics, uh, several games to talk about, um, so it's going to be a good show. But a couple things I want to talk about before we get going. Um, first of all, um, Game Pass or Fail, our brand new show that I've been working on with Vincent and Mike's been doing VO for it. That is going live on Saturday, it looks like, the debut episode of that, and then it'll be rolling every week after that. I mean, that I had talked about late last year about a new show that I was working on myself, um, and I want to bring that up with you guys today, at least tell you what the show is. It's looking like it's going to launch before the end of January, so in the next couple weeks, there's a lot of pre-production going on right now. But the show is called 
three-night weekend. It is a, an interview show where I talk to people from the industry. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about game stuff, but we're also going to talk about them as people. Um, I want this to go a little deeper than the typical game stuff, and we'll have a different uh, guest every week, and we'll see how that goes. It could get hard to get a different guest every week, but I'm going to do my best. Um, and we're going to talk about them, talk with them about what's going on with games as far as their career is concerned, but then also talk to them about things that are going on in the rest of their lives, what their lives are like. Um, and then we'll conclude each episode with three questions for each guest, and that is, what are you playing, what are you watching, and what are you drinking this weekend? Um, and it'll also kind of double as a weekend prepper. Uh, a lot of the content is in the show is going to talk about what's happening that weekend, what games are out, what movies are coming out, what TV shows are launching, uh, to get you guys ready for the three-night weekend. So anyway, that's the concept of the new show that I'm working on. I've been working on it a lot amongst a million other things that I've been doing behind the scenes right now over the last couple weeks. But it is good to be back here with you guys, to be back in front of the sifted army, as it were, uh, a lot of you guys are getting your shirts now. I've been getting lots of pictures on social media. They came out really freaking well. I'm really happy with them. Um, but this is our Sifted Army shirt. And I will say this. It seems as if only one person figured out where this logo comes from. Um, and that was Burko. He nailed it right away when I put it out. But I don't think any of you other guys realize what this logo is. This is actually a repurposed logo for Kiss's fan club. KISS, the band, their fan club is called the KISS Army. And their logo looks just like this, except obviously it says KISS across the top. But you can see the lettering, the font that we use for Sifted is the KISS font. I'm shocked that none of you guys picked up on that, uh, but Burko did. Uh, and the reason I did that is because back in the 70s when I was first getting into gaming, KISS was my favorite band. I was obsessed with KISS when I was a little kid. Um, and so I felt like it was appropriate with the other designs of our shirts with the old school arcade stuff that it would fit right in line. And we are an army, by the way. Um, if you want the shirt, head to sifted.net slash store. We got this one. Uh, we also have uh, a new design that is kind of a cross-section of an arcade cabinet with three quarters lined up for people ready to play. So anyway, I'm really happy with how the shirts came out. I hope you guys that you're getting them now. You guys are really stoked on them. Uh, we also launched a sticker pack, a sifted sticker pack on our store. You can buy for eight bucks. It's six uh, vinyl stickers of all different logos and markups. Uh, but anyway, so far the sale, sh the sale of shirts has gone well. Um, I do want to warn you, though, right now, if you're a small, you're a medium, if you're a double XL or a triple XL, we literally have like one or two left from those sizes in each design. So if you're like, you've been holding off, but you want one of our shirts, you better buy them soon if you're in any of those sizes. So anyway, um, here we are for Game Phase 242. It's been a very slow start to the year, Matt. Uh, most podcasts haven't even really picked up yet. Like IGN has started doing its podcast again. Kind of Funny has started doing its again. But otherwise, it's been radio silence. But uh, we actually have a really great show for you guys today. Um, I think I, we do anyway. We'll see how I do handling this TriCaster stuff. It could be crazy. Please have mercy on me today. If the screen goes to black for a couple seconds, that's me. <laughs> that's not the stream. That's me screwing up running the TriCaster. So I just want to let you guys know that beforehand before we get into it, to the topics. And speaking of which, our first topic today, which I don't think will surprise many people, is... The brand new brand, imprint, label, umbrella, whatever you want to call it, that is the new Lucas Gaming Initiative. It's called Lucasfilm Games. I can't think of a better person to discuss this with than Matt Kyle. Matt, what are your overarching kind of takes on this new initiative coming from Lucas? 
Well, I've been saying they were going to do this for about a year and a half, if if people recall. Like, they, I, I knew that they were positioning people for this. Uh, and um, I did not expect it to happen this... I didn't expect it to happen in, like this early in the year, And I, but apparently that happened, the announcement happened so they could then announce Indiana Jones uh, the day after. Um, and uh, as I understand it, there is basically an all-star lineup they have negotiated over the last year or so that they will slowly roll out information about over the course of 2021. Um, so they basically did what I had hoped they'd do, which was ditch the EA exclusivity and just set up a wing of Lucasfilm like they used to have in the form of LucasArts. And before that, Lucasfilm Games. Lucasfilm Games was the original name of LucasArts in the 80s. And... Um, Basically, they're going to come up with the projects and get pitched the projects and choose the developers that are appropriate for those projects, um, which is exactly what they should have been doing from the beginning. Um, like, I understand the corporate temptation to pick a one company and have that pipeline work for everything. But um, A, no one major publisher is equipped to make all the different kinds of games you want to make with a Star Wars license. And B, wow, was EA the wrong pick for that? Like, just in general, not the people you should have gone to. Why um, do you think EA was... I mean, look, they Lucas did announce that EA is going to continue to make Star Wars games. So it mm-hmm. hasn't been cut out. But what do you think, no. what do you think the biggest reason was that... Lucas decided not to re-up that exclusivity contract with EA. Because it's been eight years and they've put up four games. Like, that's the, the, the lack of content in the pipeline is absurd. And I think you're also probably, there's probably some internal stuff that, you know, the, the fact that the head of Disney had to call EA and say, stop the microtransaction shit on Battlefront 2 is was probably a breaking point. And also, I think... Um, Look, Fallen Order was great, and Fallen Order sold extremely well, but Fallen Order was basically made by Respawn a little bit rogue. Like, yeah. they did, they refused to use the Frostbite engine, they refused to make it multiplayer. They it were, also like, we're came out a... today that Lucas did not want them to create a Jedi story. Yeah, that, well, no, that, I remember that from, from way back. Like, that, they talked about how, like, they, they had a fight for the right to make a Jedi game. Yeah. Um, and, uh, which is... <laughs> <laughs> like, there's, exactly. there's been a lot of there's been a lot of shuffling at Lucasfilm when it comes to like sort of realizing what the brand should be. Um, they obviously had no clue how to do the one-off stuff. Um, you know, the stuff like Rogue One sort of came together, but Solo was clearly a mess. They didn't know what they were doing with that. And now uh, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have gotten the track the, the the train back on the track after the disaster that was Rise of Skywalker. Um, with Mandalorian, and clearly this is what we're going forward. All the Disney Plus stuff is going to kind of re- revamp a lot of that stuff. And um, the fact that uh, that they were able to do what they did in the final episode of Mandalorian Season 2 says to me that Lucasfilm has come around on what Star Wars needs to be and sort of how they need to kind of be willing to use certain things and not be afraid to touch uh, all points of the galaxy. Um, so, uh, so that's good. Um, but like Fallen Order, like if I'm Lucasfilm and I see that EA um, fought the idea that the not not, not even the, the 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 Jedi thing, but the fact that EA fought the idea that like a single player adventure game was worth making in you know the modern gaming era, and of course it's outsold everything else at retail except Call of Duty right. for the following twelve months. Yeah, and. 
there's a hunger for that shit. Yeah. Like people want to do that. Like that's not, it doesn't have to just be multi you know, And of course the multiplayer thing is, is tied into like EA's business strategy going back however long. Um, but if I'm Lucasfilm and I'm trying to shepherd this IP and I'm looking at that's the instinct that the EA's executives have, I'm like, well, I think we should probably make, make the calls on that. Like letting EA's suits decide what the next Star Wars game should be was a mistake. And that, that couldn't be more clear. And and I think even the successes sort of point to that. Like Squadrons, great. Squadrons was like a weird spinoff of a mode they were going to add to Battlefront 2 for free. Like it was, and then it turned out like, no, you can, that can be its own thing. Like Star Wars can support all these different kinds of things. You could probably get away with a Star Wars racing game if you made the pod racing game good enough again. Yeah, absolutely. Um, people are open. That idea, yeah, it's all people there. are open to it. Yeah. And you but now anything. you know. Puzzle but now game. it looks like they like like look. I mean, this is the first non Star Wars fa- game Lucas Arts slash Film Games has done since Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb. Like that's a long time. So they're finally branching out on that, giving it to a to a to a Machine Games, um, which is you know the Wolfenstein people, which is like that's a pretty. Good choice, I would say. Like that's uh, well, it I, I makes total it. sense because let's be honest, the Wolfenstein franchise isn't really selling all that well anymore. No, but the no. team, Machine Games, is very talented. Yeah, and so, if you look at the Wolfenstein games, you're like, yeah, I can see how that would translate into an Indiana Jones game, like in terms of what they've done and how they've done sort of the period piece stuff. And and I mean, look. Like they are definitely the go-to people in the industry if you need to kill some Nazis, and uh, and that is if, if killing Nazis has a name, it must be Indiana Jones. So perfect um, timing, isn't it? For Indiana yeah. Jones. So I'm, I'm too bad he wasn't at the on Capitol that. on uh, January sixth. <laughs> Maybe he was in, incognito. Um, um, Matt, do you realize it's been since the PS2 era that we've got a console Indiana Jones game? Yeah, it, we're seeing it right now in the B-roll. Indiana Jones and the Emperor's Tomb, a Emperor's PS2 Tomb. game, is the last major Indiana Jones game. Why do you think that they have disappeared? Um, well, I mean, I just said that, uh, but like uh, Emperor's Tomb is the last non-Star Wars game they made, and uh, part of it is just because Star Wars games sold well. Uh, the other part of it is that um, the Indiana Jones games always had kind of a the, <laughs> They had good intentions, but they never quite turned out right. You know what I mean? Yep. Um, you had that Emperor's Tomb was sort of that, and then you had the um, the Infernal Machine, which was the N sixty four one, uh, which was equally you know, trying to be a Tomb Raider sort of thing. Uh, and like every time they tried to make one of those Indiana Jones games, it just didn't quite come together right. Like remember you know, that they, they, Indiana they learned Jones. that making a third person adventure platformer is a lot harder than you than you think it is. Um, so I, I, I think it was just the, the difficulty of doing that. The fact that physics of engines at the time were not ready to do the whip properly. Um, it, there, there was just a lot of technical problems and sort of creative problems. And they, they had another Indiana Jones game in the works in the late two thousands. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but they were, they were working on it and they canceled it. It was like, it, they, there was like demos of it, uh, around the same time force unleashed was being shown. It was like a, there was like a demo of him riding a cable car in San Francisco and like whipping Nazis off of it and stuff. I remember seeing that cause they were showing off that physics thing they did that force awakens had. It was using the same physics, uh, engine. Um, I think it's just harder. I think because, because also because, because Indiana Jones is very, 
kind of fisticuffs melee combat focused, yeah. and that's harder than doing a shooter. Yeah, even in this game, it's like the bullets were really limited, and you really only use them on boss fights. At least that's what I mm-hmm. remember from this game. And then, Matt, do you remember an Indiana Jones game for Nintendo 64 that was in development for, like, ever and would never come out? And then if I remember correctly, I believe they ended up putting it out as some kind of, like, a special release or something. Do you remember anything yeah, about that's, that? Yeah, that's Infernal Machine. I just That's what I just oh, okay. mentioned. Um, they were, you could only get, it was also on PC, but you could only get the N64 version, I think at Blockbuster. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Or something. You could only yeah. special order it or it was only a block, yeah. but it was something like that. I, I have it. I have that game. That might um, be worth some money. Uh, it is. Yeah. Uh, it's terrible, but I have it. And it's, <laughs> it, and I, I, cause I bought, I, if I remember right, my friend who worked at Blockbuster basically let me buy the cartridge after like a year or something. After it gone I, have a, I have a few of them. I have like that one and I have uh, the Beast Wars Transmetals N64 oh. game. You know, it's not Beast Wars Transmetals, it's just straight up Beast Wars. Uh, that was also, I think, a blockbuster exclusive. They, that was a weird period where you could only rent certain games for the N64 because yeah. no one wanted to mass produce them. Right. Um, uh, I mean, those games were bad. They were the, 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 yeah, the games Jones that they were rental were only great. were bad. But yeah. collector's items, without a doubt. Yeah, I mean, now they're they're a big deal. But but the Indiana Jones games have have never quite come together. Like, look, they should be good. You should be able to make you know in in this era of these of the Crystal Dynamics Tomb Raider games, you should be able to make a pretty good Indiana Jones. I would think. What do um, you want to see from Machine Games's game? Um, competence. My given, I think. My bar for Indiana Jones is real low. Uh, movies and and games at this point. Um, I would like to see it set in the World War II era. I'd like to see it like more of a classic Indiana Jones, not like a Crystal Skull era thing. Uh, ideally, Does it I'd need like to, to be see Harrison it. Ford. Well, I don't Do know. They need you're not his likeness. Get, you're not, I mean, yeah, he should look like himself. You're not going to get his voice. So, um, what era of? I I think it should be uh, I think it should be World War Two. I think it should be the the story because in in Crystal Skull so they talk to be about young in the game. Um, yeah, in Crystal Skull they talk about uh, his CIA that he did a bunch of missions for the CIA and SAS or whatever. Uh, and I'm like, that sounds like a way more interesting story than what we're getting <laughs> in this movie. So I'm hoping the game covers his like his secret missions during World War Two. Okay, that would be my that would seem like the obvious choice to me. Um, and trying to stop, uh, you know, I'm, you know, also Wolfenstein tie-in, probably trying to stop Hitler from getting uh, the Spear of Agnes at some, you know, because right. that, that, you know, similar to like the uh, the Ark and the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant and the, and the the Holy Grail, you know, the 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 thing about Nazis looking for occult items, and then you have uh, the the I think it was the expansion to Wolfenstein 3D was the was the, the Spear of Agnes, the, the the Spear of Destiny. Um, which is, you know, the spear that I pierced Christ's side on the crucifix and it supposedly makes you invincible, whatever the hell it does. Um, and Hitler wanted that. And that was like what one of the Wolfenstein expansions were about. And so if you could have Indiana Jones trying to stop him from getting that during World War II as part of his secret mission stuff, that would be pretty cool. And it'd be pretty cool to just have that tie in to Wolfenstein being made, the games being made by the guys who make Wolfenstein. Wouldn't it be funny like, if they found some way to cross the two IP over? I don't see why they couldn't. Like, I mean, if Lucasfilm is okay with it, I don't see why he couldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see why they why he couldn't meet BJ for a mission or two. You yeah. Know? yeah. And Lucas, there's a new indie film coming, right? Yeah, they're making Indy 5. Uh, that, despite, the last indie film. Despite all our efforts to stop them, they are <laughs> yeah. going to make another Indiana Jones movie. The last one was so bad, man. Like, there was the one shot where he's in that warehouse jumping across, like, all the boxes or whatever. And it's mm-hmm. so obvious, like, 
some 22-year-old, like, stunt double. Because in the rest of the movie, he's so crotchety and rickety, yeah, like, he it's, can't even run. Here's the thing. Like, here, like I, you know, and this is this is sort of sacrilegious, but, like, I actually like Crystal Skull more than Temple of Doom. Wow. Um, I never liked Temple of Doom. I think Temple of Doom is a dark, nasty, mean-spirited film. I mean, and, I would agree. It's definitely the darkest of the And Crystal universe. Skull is dumb, but, like, at least there's a couple of fun parts. Yeah, um, I'll give it that. And, like... It, yeah, it's it's it, neither of them are good. They're also they're also structurally very similar. Like Crystal Skull is very similar to Temple of Doom in terms of its structure and and sort of narrative pacing. Uh, honestly, Raiders of the Lost Ark is one of the most perfect film action films ever made. Agreed. Like you, you, Last Crusade is my favorite, but Raiders is the better movie. Um, and like you're not going to top those two movies. Like you're, no. you're never going to beat those. The last I, I try to never say never, but that might be a case where you're, right you, you, could, you like could have, if it was like 1994, you know, yeah. and like you were still making movies with Spielberg and his, his post Jurassic yeah. world prime yeah. and, and Harrison Ford still able to move. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't see what you're doing here uh, outside of like saying goodbye to the character, I guess. Um, which is weird. I, I, my one question is because, like, you know, the the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. I don't know how many of the, the young youngins remember that one as a TV series <laughs> in, the, in the in the late eighties, early nineties, uh, where it was about young Indiana Jones, and it was like various ages. He was like you know a kid, and there was like a, him as like a tween, and him as like an like an adolescent, uh, and it kind of told a very every episode he would basically encounter a different historical figure of of note. Uh, it was kind of like Forrest Gump except with like Indiana <laughs> Jones. And, um, and the, the basic idea of that, what young Indiana Jones Chronicles was to test effects ideas in the preparation for Lucas's wanting to prepare to make the prequels. Um, almost every major project of, of that nature in that period of time was Lucas like dry running stuff for the prequels, mm-hmm. including uh, Rebel Assault 2, if you remember that game. Yeah, that, was, that was the first use, that's the first time they ever dragged the costumes and props for Star Wars out of the vault after the Ewok movies. Uh, the first time anyone else was ever able to use them for anything, they used them to make that, that because he wanted to test the green screen tech to see if they could do that for like what would become the prequels. Um, so Young Indiana Jones had the, I, the first CG character in anything. It had the, a stained glass knight made out of computer graphics, so that was kind of a big thing. But the bookends of that show is old Indiana Jones, and he's like, you know, 80-something, and he's got an eye patch, and he's sitting there sort of telling the story. Of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, the one thing left to do in Indiana Jones 5 would be to explain how he loses the eye. Yeah. If, if you're still trying to you're go try with to do that. that being a connective tissue thing. Look, the, the one upside of it is that it looks like we're getting 4K Ultra HD copies of the movies this year. Um which is great. Like that if that's great. the price you got to, if you got, if Indiana Jones five has to exist for Disney to do that, uh, great. I'll take it. I don't care. Um, I can just ignore Indiana Jones five, just like I do Indiana Jones four and it'll be fine. Um, also I love the fact they're not bringing it back Shia LaBeouf. So I guess like that character just showed up for one movie and will never be mentioned again. Like what? Oh, uh, well, I mean, so weird. You know, word around town is he's not that great to work with. So no, it doesn't. I mean, I, I don't think that's a surprise to anybody. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's 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 a it just feels scattered and and I don't see the point. But so this 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 game is probably our best shot at some really good Indiana Jones content going forward. Uh, I will admit the other game they announced is more exciting to me because if you're going to make an open world story driven Star Wars game, you go to Ubisoft. Like it's it's like it makes sense to me. I'm not, I'm not super thrilled the guy who directed the crew is doing it, but like. 
Uh, he also did the division, so maybe we'll get something out of that. Yeah, so that's the other big announcement is that Ubisoft and the team that made the division two, which is what you're seeing right now, are working on basically a reskinned division game set in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far. I, I we don't know anything. They said story driven open world Star Wars game. I mean, you know what it's going to be, Matt? They're going to use. The I think it's going to be Assassin's Creed. Okay. I think they're making Assassin's Creed with Star Wars. I don't think this is going to be a four-player co-op game. You don't think it's going to be like a game as a service? You think it's going to be primarily so. campaign? I mean, look, the division I mean, I'll has take a that huge too. campaign. Um, yeah, I mean, I'll take that too. But like, I don't. I I I think on the back of um, on the two things on the back of Fallen Order success, I think they want to stick to like an Assassin's Creed model on this. They like Ubisoft just couldn't spare any other teams to make an Assassin's Creed Star Wars game because they're making Assassin's Creed games. Um, and two. Uh, Lucasfilm very clearly just saw what happened to the Avengers. Yeah. You don't want to make that game. You don't want to try to cram your license into a Division. I mean, a Division-style game for Star Wars would probably be pretty great. I mean, I'm watching this B-roll right now. I'm all in, Matt. I would love a Star Wars game like this. It would make me actually care about it. Because the Division, it's like, I enjoy playing it. I don't give a crap about the story Or the characters, but I love everything else about it. So if they could make a Star Wars game in this template, I'm all about it, man. I'm all in. Like I, I think it could be great. I also think it could sell really freaking well and be a way that you could find to do a game as a service for an IP like this that actually is successful, unlike, as you said, Avengers. I just don't think they're going to touch that. And I see some people in the chat saying like they're using Snowdrop, not Anvil, so it can't be Assassin's Creed. Well, yeah, Star Wars uses blasters. It's going to be a shooter. Like, yeah. I, I'm not saying you're going to hit things with a sword. I'm saying it's going to be single player. And there are projectiles in Assassin's Creed. I mean, you have yeah, a Yeah, I'm saying it's not great. Projectiles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm like, it's not going to be as, it's going to be a single player open world game is what I'm, what I'm betting. Um, now I, would I take a division style thing? It's like make, put you, you put a crew of Mandalorians together or something and go around doing bounties. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, That'd be great that game too. would be awesome. Like there's I'm a, there's a that. bunch of like formula. You, you could go, you could go the Assassin's Creed single player open world action RPG formula with it. Or you could do like a Wildlands division stuff formula. Like Star Wars can, you know, I just, what I just said, so Star Wars can support everything. It can. Um, yeah. So like, you know. Very and, pliable IP. And you could, you know, you could just reskin that game over and over in a different eras and it would still count. They haven't announced, of course, the game that I really want to see. What is that? Um, uh, this is only half joking, as a matter of fact. Star Wars Musso. Like a hack and slash Dynasty Warriors. Koei, get, Star get Wars Koei game. to make a fucking Star Wars Dynasty Warriors game. Like, I, I would not be that excited for that, to be perfectly honest. I don't think I'd be excited. <laughs> I, excited for that? I'm not the same thing, but like in terms of like, if you get me some a Star Wars Dynasty Warriors game with the quality of the Nintendo ones, like, I'll buy that. Like, if you, you let me just like hack up thousands of battle droids with a Jedi or like, like mow down tons of stormtroopers with, uh, with, with a Jedi. Or like with uh, General Grievous or something like there's there's something there like you like Star Wars is begging for that because um, that's what I'm saying is like they should be ma- and I think this is the point of this you know move they're making there should be enough Star Wars games coming out on a regular basis that if they put out a Star Wars Muso game and you don't want to play Muso games it doesn't matter because another Star Wars game you are interested in is coming along soon yeah like. That's the thing is these Star Wars games should not be 
once a year events. They should not be like, oh, the next Star Wars game isn't something I'm interested in. So I'm basically not going to play a Star Wars game for two years. Like yeah. that's a problem. And that's a problem that EA has created for the brand. And I think if they can end run around that, they will be in a much better position. I am wondering how TT Games is making the Lego stuff, considering the, the Lego exclusivity thing, that, that I thought EA had. That is a completely different license. Um, because for some reason, the, the Lego license is its own thing. Interesting. Um, and I don't know the legality of the, 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 the details on that, but all I know is... Um, it's not connected to this to the main. It's the same reason that uh, tell t- uh, uh, what it, t- I guess it's TT Games. Not it's not Traveler Sales anymore. Huh? It's just TT Games. Yep. Um, it's the same reason TT Games still makes Marvel Lego games, even though they're owned by Warner Brothers. It's just the Lego thing is its own entity. Um, I don't know how they pulled that off, but they did. Um, looking forward to that game too. Like I, I, I can't Skywalker believe we still have. Yeah, I can't believe we don't have it yet. Yeah, I can't but like, understand what's going on with that game. Wow, this weird. That was at E3 two years ago. I know, <laughs> and they usually barf these games out like one a year. I, I mean, apparently they're paying special yeah. attention to it. I don't know. They are. Well, I, the the original idea was that that was going to be their last Star Wars Lego game. Oh, because uh, they didn't foresee anything else on that. But like, if you're not making a Mandalorian Lego game somewhere back there, you are out of your damn mind. Oh, like, man. All my nephews love Mandalorian. All of them. It's like their favorite. Mm-hmm. Like all the gifts I got from my nephews this Christmas, all Mandalorian. And it was yeah. I ran the gamut backpacks like night lights like clocks like you oh, name yeah. it like my all my whole feed all my social media feed on christmas is just people showing their their uh, grogu baby yoda stuff yeah the whatever time. they got yeah from everyone like i mean i'm talking like children to like people in their 60s everyone got baby yoda it was a baby yoda because there was no baby yoda merchandise last christmas so now everybody's getting their getting their baby yoda christmas in Yep. Um, it's. Uh, I mean, this is really good news for Star Wars. In gen- I agree, Matt. It's amazing news, and it. It's a shame. I mean, they made a mistake signing an exclusive deal with EA. Let's just be yeah. honest. They. It made a mistake, uh, but it has clarified it, and it wasn't dumb enough to re up that deal. Um, I mm. like that it's creating this competitive environment among developers to secure the Star Wars license. It's just going to push yeah. them to come up with great ideas. I also feel like Lucas Games has done a good job finding partners so far. Like, yeah, they've Machine picked the right, Games the two and really Ubisoft. good choices. Yeah, like, yeah, thumbs up, yeah. man. Like, I'm very happy to see this. And they kept the relationship with EA copacetic. You know, at least yep. EA was able to admit that they've screwed up. Yep. And so they're, but they're still, you know, we're still going to have Fallen Order 2, probably going to get Battlefront 3. Um, maybe they'll have the Need for Speed team make a pod racer game at some point. Like, whatever it takes. Yeah. Um, my, my, all you care about is if the game is going to sell. And if it's right. a Star my, Wars game, uh, it is. My request beyond the Star Wars Muso, which was more of a fun thing, uh, for my serious thing, I would say, like, um, go to uh, Larian and have them make KOTOR 3. Yeah. When they're done with Baldur's Gate yeah, 3. Yeah, and I think they'd totally be down with it, too. Yeah. Yep. And the timing would probably work out. Because, you know, the, it seems like they're wrapping up Baldur's Gate 3. I've been feeling that way for like a year and a half, though, and it's still not done. So, um, I mean, they basically said when the when the early access went up, they basically said there was a year left. Yeah. So, so that's coming fall. soon, and they're going to have to switch to something, and that would be a perfect fit, obviously. Um, yeah, I mean, you wouldn't, you'd be looking at uh, that game being coming out in like maybe early 2023 at the earliest. But yeah. uh, still, I mean, it's not like Star Wars is going to be over unless all these new shows completely bomb, and I don't think that's going to happen. Yep. Uh, 
So there you so. go. That's the next generation of Star Wars video games. I'm glad to see this happen. Also, Matt, as we turn generations to PS5 and uh, Xbox Series X, because we're not beholden to just one engine for Star Wars games mm-hmm. now. And an engine, I would say, that's quite notorious and known to not really give good results. So Yeah, get, get everything you can out of the Frostbite engine is my recommendation to everyone everywhere. Yeah. Um, Dice can handle it for whatever, you know, Dice gets pretty good results out of it for the most part. Um, but trying to force other genres to work with it is, has, has been a mistake and has always been a self-evident mistake. So, um, and look, Respawn knew it. Yeah. Yeah. Respawn was well aware of that. I'm looking forward to Fallen Order too, obviously. Yeah. Um, like the Star future of Star Wars games looks looks real good, and uh, I didn't I didn't think we'd be able to say that this soon. But, yeah, uh, this announcement came out of nowhere. They didn't even save it for like their big annual event. <laughs> They're just yeah. like, we got to do this now. So, well, my guess is that they've got some good stuff up their sleeve for the rest for of the year as well, yep. like further out. Also, um, Mandalorian season two. Oh boy! Wow. Yeah. Best Star Wars I've seen since like Empire Strikes Back. I'm not exaggerating. Yeah, it's solid. Just amazing. And. Um, a uh, yeah, like it, I, I think uh, that was very welcome news. Yep. Uh, good work, Lucasfilm. You're, you're really turning it around yeah. at this point. Time to celebrate for all of us. All right, it's time to move on. We're gonna. I've actually been playing my Nintendo Switch a lot this this like last two weeks, like the last month. Yeah. Um, I turned my Switch on for the first time in forever. Like probably since uh, probably since uh, Age of Calamity, um, like two days ago. And uh, just to look at stuff and see if anything else was out that I was interested in, uh, it wasn't. Um, but uh, but I did see they updated the Super Nintendo, you know, virtual console thing. So I opened that up. I, I, I got to give them credit uh, in a weird kind of sideways way. They continually put games up on those two, the, the NES and the Super Nintendo apps that I have never fucking heard of. I know. Like, Donkey Kong Country 3, okay. But everything else on that, I'm like, what is that? I've never fucking heard of it. And like, you gotta get up pretty early in the morning to come up with a 16-bit game I've never seen, let alone played. Like, it's bizarre. Like, I don't... Where is the the Square stuff, people? Yeah, I did the same thing. I like, downloaded the SNES channel or whatever. Went in and looked. I'm like, yep, all games I've played like five times at least at this point. Uh, Super Punch Out again. Like, it's just, it's all just stuff that you've never played, so you have no nostalgia for it. So, there's no reason to even really do right. it because yep. who cares? Yep. Uh, it, it's such a weird series of choices because they're holding back all their good stuff for like other collections. Square doesn't want to put anything significant on there because they think they know they can sell Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy on oh, their right. own. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, you're sort of stuck with this like endless stream of also RAMs. Trash. And really. it's, uh, yeah. it's a shame. Yeah, I don't get much use out of that stuff on my Switch, but I have been getting a lot of use out of the eShop the uh, last couple weeks because there's been a couple big demos that have gone up on the Switch Marketplace, uh, and probably the biggest of which is what we're going to talk about now, which is Monster Hunter Rise. It is a brand new Monster Hunter game. Right now, it's exclusive for Switch. I think there's a PC version coming eventually, uh, but it's at the very least a timed exclusive on Switch. There is a free demo of the game up right now on the eShop. Um and the demo itself, um, you can basically play it 30 times, and it, I think it's going to be there. <laughs> I know it's a lot. And believe me, as I get into this, you'll, you'll see that 30 is more than enough. Um, and it, I think it's going to be up there for a while, like until February. So you don't have to like go and download the demo right now and jump on it to make sure you get to play it. It is going to be there for a bit. But I did for the purposes of Game Phase 242. 
um, and spent a good bit of time with Monster Hunter Rise. Now, before I get into my discussion of it, I want to give you my background with Monster Hunter. Um, I played Monster Hunter Try a lot, probably 200 hours. I got totally sucked into it and played it for forever. Monster Hunter World, I played it enough to review it or talk about it on Game Face. I never finished the campaign, but I played probably 20 plus hours of that. So I have pretty good experience with Monster Hunter. I am not an expert or an aficionado by any stretch of the imagination, but I've played a ton of it. So I have a pretty good base of knowledge um, for Rise. And uh, I guess the first thing I would say is that it's very similar to every other Monster Hunter. However, there are some updates and changes that I'll get to here in a second. Um, the first thing I, would, I should say is... In the demo, there are two training missions, two single-player training missions that teach you, like, the basics. And I mean the basics of this game. They don't really go in-depth enough at all. Um, And the other thing that you can do in the game is take on two missions online with up to three other players. So you have two monsters that you hunt and kill online, and then you have two training missions that you can play to get an idea of how the single player is going to look and feel. Um, And based upon what I've experienced in this, it is going to be very Monster Hunter-y. No real lavish like story-moving cinematics. Um, It appears that the setup is basically the same as every Monster Hunter. The local town is under threat by the monsters. Please save the town. Um, And then you just go out and kill monsters and collect the loot from the monsters and then use that stuff to craft. Now, there are a couple features that were not enabled in this demo, and crafting was one of them. And also doing any type of changes, adjustments, or customization to your playable character uh, was also not present. However... All 14 character classes are in the game. And Matt, I think that's where the 30 chances comes in. Because honestly, Mm. you play those two missions once, you're pretty much good. Especially if you've played a lot of Monster Hunter before. But I think the idea is that Capcom wants you to keep trying all the different weapon types throughout the game. So that you get an idea of what you like. So maybe when the full game launches, you can hit the ground running with the exact weapon that you want to use. Now, the, the problem with having 14 different weapons in this game at least, is that each one controls a little differently. Again, maybe why Capcom gave you the 30 tries. Because once you, when you switch to a new weapon for the first time, you do feel like a fish out of water. There are certain things that carry over from one character to another, but then the more nuanced stuff seems to be different in a lot of them. So it's not one of these games where you're like, okay, I was using a sword before, now I have a bigger sword and I can play the same way and be successful at it. You can't. You have to kind of learn each one of those weapons, how to use them and how to best utilize them against the enemies, which I think for for the uh, the long runway for a game, that's probably the right angle to take. Um, and as you can see, there are mounts in this game. Um, what I've seen in the demo so far, there are just two. There's the little, like, critter that was in Monster Hunter World that follows you around and, like, helps you cast spells and heals you and stuff like that. But now there's also a dog. Um, And the dog can run really fast. So you can mount the dog and then get around a lot more quickly than you can if you choose the other buddy. Uh, So I honestly have no idea why somebody would choose one of the other buddies that you can't get on and use as a mount. I ended up using the dog pretty much the entire time. And you'll see here in this B-roll, you can attack while you're the dog. Um, It's not like you just ride around, get off. Um, And now the attacks aren't as powerful as if you're not mounted and you're just using your sword like on your own, but you can still fight. And it is a good way on some of the tougher enemies to kind of jump in and strike and then get away. 
Because really, that's what Monster Hunter is all about. Getting in, landing as many blows as you can, and then getting away before the monster delivers one of its huge attacks. And it is absurd. Um, like, this, this monster that we're fighting right now, there's two. But the one on the left is the primary monster. Like, we hacked that monster, uh, my, my guess is, 5,000 times. I don't <laughs> care what kind of a sword you have. You hack anything 5,000 times, there's not going to be nothing left but a pile of jibs. And so that's the, that's the contrition. That's what you have to accept with Monster Hunter. It's not – well, first of all, they're huge monsters, which aren't real. But the combat itself, you really have to suspend disbelief for a lot of it because you're literally beating on these enemies forever. And you also never see any damage on them, which is weird. Blood flies out, but there's no permanent damage. Um, that is something I suspect we might see in the first Monster Hunter for PS5 and Series X. Uh, but I don't know. It's certainly not in Rise. Um, so there is, like, an absurdity to it. There is a repetitive nature to it as well. Um, there are basically just two attacks for most weapons. There's a powerful and then a quicker, uh, sl- more slashy-type attack that doesn't do quite as much damage. Um, and again, depending on the weapon, some of that stuff does change. But in general, you basically have two attacks for each character in the game. Um, and then a lot of the game is item management using this insane menu system. And you'll see it in this B-roll I pop it up all the time on accident. Once it comes up, I don't know what to do with it. Almost every button on the controller has a modifier, uh, which I don't know why they haven't managed to learn how to streamline this. I think they want to make sure that they leave every option open to you on the fly so you can choose stuff as the game is happening. And a big part of this game is time management. Uh, You have to take lots of health potions, but the health potions take a while. So part of the strategy in the game is getting away from the enemy so you have enough room and time to use your health potion uh, before you get attacked again. And that kind of aesthetic carries through the whole game. Um, And so I understand why they're trying to make everything available to you on the fly as you play. But it gets really confusing. And then there was a couple times where, like, two menus popped up and I couldn't get away from them and, like, I die. It's... It's really a game that's made for PC. It's a franchise that's made for PC. Even though it was birthed on consoles, you really kind of need a mouse and a keyboard to play this game without having to hold L1, R1, or R1, R2 while you hit another button in order to make it work. But over time, I came to grips with it. I started to figure it out. I started to understand the ins and outs of the game, and I started to get better at it. Um, I was talking a little earlier. There are two new features in the game. At least as far as for most Monster Hunter veterans, they will recognize as big features. Um, The first is this thing called Silk. Let me see if I can remember what it's called. Um, Oh, I lost it in my notes. Oh, yeah, it's called the Wire Bug. And basically it's this bug that gives you the ability to use Silk to tie down enemies. Um, and so, again, it takes a while to kind of figure out how to do this stuff because it's buried in the menus. But I was playing with people who had been playing since, like, the demo launch, which was very helpful. Um, and so they were using it. You can see it right there. You see those white lines, like that silk? Well, actually, that's wyvern writing that you saw right there. But you use the silk to hold enemies down and almost, like, trap them so you can really unload and do a lot of damage. And then the other new feature is what you're seeing right now. You may not even notice it. But right now, one of the players is riding the monster. That is another brand new feature in the game. It's called Wyvern Riding. And there's a bunch of stipulations. You have to like get the, en- the, the enemy's health down to a certain level. Then you have to use the, uh, the wire bug power up. Um, but you can then jump on them and ride them around. I have some B-roll of that later on. 
Um, and then once you are riding the enemy, and I'll say this, the controls for it are kind of goofy, uh, but once you are riding it around, then you can attack with that monster, and you can attack other monsters with that monster. And then you have like a, you have two kind of special attacks. One is just a devastating attack. It just takes a ton of health off of whatever you hit it with. And another one is like a ram. And if you ram another enemy with your monster, you can then jump from your monster to the next monster and take control of that other monster. So it's a pretty cool system. In practice, it's a little clunky. In fact, I would say almost everything in this game is a little clunky. Uh, the combat, it feels like Monster Hunter. So you know what it feels like if you've played any of the games. There's not a real good sensation of impact when your slashes are landing. You feel like you're just hacking through like paper a lot of the time. Um, and that's one of those things that like some studios seem to get right and others just don't. Um, but it, the combat doesn't feel particularly good. Like the rolling feels slow and sluggish. Um, a lot of time you're just like, you know what? I'm just going to eat that hit and just use a health potion. And in, in honesty, the game is really designed for that because they give you a ton of health in the chest when you start the quest. But then as you go through the levels, you come across herbs that you can pick up and they're just everywhere and they give you tons of more health. And then there are these little like sprite things that are floating around in the air. And if you just run into one of those, it gives you a buff. And I think there's four different buff types that you can get. At least that's what I saw in the demo anyway. Um, so just as you're running around adventuring, you're getting buffs that will help you as you make your way to the next skirmish. Um, one thing about this game, and again, this ties into why I don't know why anyone would choose uh, a buddy other than the canine that you can ride. The game still has the problem of okay, we finished this part of the fight. Now the person who gets to the next part of the fight first gets all the rewards. Um, and I found that in this. Like when I chose like the buddy that you can't use as a mount, I was like getting to fights way after everybody else. Like they had already almost finished the monster and I'm just showing up. So, and that for me, that's been a problem with Monster Hunter for a really, really long time. I complained about it with Monster Hunter World. If you go back and watch the game face where I discussed that game, uh, it's not nothing new as far as things that irritate me in the Monster Hunter franchise, but it is here as well. Um, but I will say this again, as someone who's only played a couple Monster Hunter games any real length of time, I did have fun with this. And I'll say this too. This game looks really good for a Switch game. Matt, I'm really kind of surprised at what some of these developers are starting to get out of the Switch late in its life. Um, particularly some of these third-party guys like Capcom. Uh, there's crazy, like, fur shading throughout all this game. Like, every monster has some kind of fur on him. There's all kinds of shaders and things like that going on. Um, it's one of the better-looking Switch games. And I would say it's probably the best-looking non-first-party Switch game, or at least in the top three. Mm. Anyway, I've been very impressed by this game. I've also seen no stutters. I haven't put it through a frame rate counter to see what it's running at. My guess is 30. Uh, but it stays steady. Like, even when big creatures show up and, like, everybody is hacking and slashing at the same time and water's flying up and their sword sparks are going everywhere, I have not seen it slow down. So, technically... I am very impressed with this game for a Switch game. Um, even if I played this on, like, PS4, I wouldn't be like, ew. Like, it looks that good. So Capcom is doing a pretty good job with that Tegra chip, Matt. Like, I, I didn't think that this hardware would have, like, headroom. I really thought that what they got out of it, like, right at the beginning was basically going to be all they got out of it. But we've seen games improve pretty drastically on Switch throughout its lifespan. Yeah, you're never, it's never going to be like that. You're always going to learn how to use the hardware more effectively moving forward. Um, 
I will never play this game probably because I hate Monster Hunter. <laughs> so like I did play Try a fair amount because my friends that I played online with wanted to play it. So I probably played like 100, 100 hours of Monster Hunter Try and I did not like a single minute of it. Um, I was just playing it because, you know, sometimes your were. friends get stuck on a game and if you don't show up, they can't play it in a full yeah. group. And the, 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 yep. um, But uh, I don't like Monster Hunter. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've been playing uh, the superior alternative to Monster Hunter this week because uh, I started playing Dragon's Dogma again. Oh. <laughs> I would vastly prefer to see a Dragon's Dogma 2 rather than another rehash of Monster Hunter. Um, but uh, this game is going to sell like crazy like monster Hunter rise is going to be a gigantic hit it so i understand why they did it yeah and i'll say this too if you guys are watching this and you're like okay i think i'm gonna give, give the demo a try i would recommend doing a little if you haven't played a lot of monster hunter i would recommend doing a little research on monster hunter because the other thing about this demo is it does introduce those two new things and there are two tutorial missions that you can play through but it just scratches the surface of Monster Hunter, man. There's so much weird nuance to this franchise in general. Mm -hmm. um, like, when you go on your first hunt, you're going to see players doing stuff, and you're going to be like, how in the heck are they doing that? Um, yeah, I always felt, even on Monster Hunter World, I always felt like most of the game is hiding from you. Yeah, I mean, you have to really play it to understand, like, how the trapping works, how baiting works, what bait works on what enemy. There's so much nuance and depth to this once you really start diving into it so i do recommend that you do a little research before you start playing the demo i felt like a fish out of water at first even though i have mm -hmm. played a ton of monster hunter um and then the other thing i would say too is that while technically i was pretty impressed with it there are issues um the camera is an issue there's a lock on but it, it felt like the lock on would just be lost sometimes even though i didn't like unclick it uh, there's lots of clipping, um, and in conjunction with the bad camera angle, sometimes you'll get a camera that's, like, right overhead, kind of peering down on the action, and, like, the big monster's clipping, so you're seeing, like, the inside of the monster while... It there are some issues with it. Um, I think most people will learn, will learn how to work around them. Um, and normally, I would. It, this, this is a point where I say, and this is a preview, and there's plenty of time to get it fixed before launch. That's really not the case here. This game comes out on March 26th. Um, my guess is it's pretty much probably being rated right now and in certification. So I wouldn't expect major changes like that for launch. Um, but overall, I had a good time. Look at that monster. It's a Switch. This is a Switch game. I've, uh, I can't see it. Uh, <laughs> you can't see B-roll today? I, yeah. guess, I guess I didn't set it up right. I'll have to ask Jared how to do that, unfortunately. Sorry, man. I didn't realize that. Um, but anyway, um, I did have a lot of fun with it, and I do agree with Matt. I think this game is going to sell really well. Um, also, another new feature that I didn't bring up that you're seeing right now, uh, also, with those wire bugs, you get the ability to use a grapple hook. You probably saw it in some of the trailers for the game if you watch any of them. Um, and it is also weird... Um, it doesn't latch to anything. It's like Spider-Man, but it doesn't have to latch. It literally latches to like whatever, to just the air that's like 20 feet above you. And you, it's not like Spider-Man. You can't really like swing through like urban environments. It's just kind of an easy way to traverse uh, really tall objects and get up on top of rocks and things like that. Uh, you can also use it in combat to evade or to get into combat really quickly. It actually is pretty flexible. Uh, and here's the wyvern writing that I was talking about. This is actually the tutorial mission that they give you where they teach you how to do it. Um, and it's clunky and weird. And if you don't hold a button, the monster won't move. So if you want to move while you're on the monster, you have to hold the R button. Um, and again, because there's just so much stuff in the control scheme that's inconsistent across the entire game. I think that's probably my biggest issue 
uh, with the gameplay so far. So it's coming out March 26th. I think it's going to sell exceptionally well. I think just like a lot of people have found with uh, Monster Hunter World who dove into Monster Hunter for the first time, these games generally are a great value for the money. If you spend 60 bucks on this game and you even kind of vaguely like it, it's very easy to play these for 100 hours or more. And then if you grow tired of using that same character, you can switch to one of the other 14 and in, or the other 13. And in this game, it actually makes a difference. It makes a big difference uh, what uh, weapon you decide to use. Um, so anyway, uh, that's Monster Hunter Rise. comes out March 26th for Switch. PC version looks like it's coming at a later date. My guess is probably at the end of the year. Um, so if you do have a PC and you like Monster Hunter, you may just want to wait uh, till later in the year. But if you haven't checked the release calendar for the early part of 2021 yet, it's not exactly loaded with good stuff, particularly if you're a Switch owner. Although we did see today, Matt, did you see that Pokemon Snap is coming out in April? Yeah. I was surprised I by that. Yeah. I've, Sooner than I thought. Yeah. And they need it. I mean, they need games on Switch. So I have a feeling this is going to fill a hole and Switch people are just going to jump all over it. And based upon what I've played so far... I think it would be smart. Like, it's a full-fledged Monster Hunter game running on Switch, and it looks great. So, And it has online play, and I guess I should mention the online play. Like, you can search for servers and then pick the server that you want to join. It shows you what hunt they're on, how many how many of the uh, players are there, so you can decide if you want to be the fourth or if you just want to jump in because you have a couple minutes or whatever. Uh, the server screen is pretty detailed and gives you enough information to figure out what you want to do. Um, and then there's also local play as well. You can play locally uh, with a friend if you want to. So the multiplayer stuff in it is pretty robust. Um, and I've been pretty impressed with what I've played so far. So there you go. That's Monster Hunter Rise coming to Switch March 26, 2021. Uh, next up. We're going to talk about a game that was delayed. Not only was the game delayed, Matt, it was... It was just in the sifted countdown for the top 10 most anticipated games of 2021. Hmm. I literally published that, and I think let, like 36 hours later, they delayed it. Um, so when that goes on YouTube, it's going to have to be recut. I'm going to have to eliminate that game, and then I'll probably republish it on sifted as well for those of you who already watched it uh, with Hogwarts Legacy in there. But Hogwarts Legacy has been delayed. Matt, first of all, are you surprised at all? Not remotely. There was, this game was never coming this year. Um, everybody else seemed to think so. Well, everybody else was crazy. Because um, remember, two, Matt, that trailer two, leaked two years ago. Two years yeah, ago that, it's been now. That was, that was not a trailer, though. That was a proof of concept. They hadn't even started the game. No, it was, it was a trailer, Matt, because there are several clips in that that are in this, what we're watching right, right now. Be, because the proof of concept became It's identical. It's I, they're identical. They didn't recreate they're, it. They... It's it was in I there, think they man. Did a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of the stuff in that original thing that leaked was proof of concept, and then you get as close to that in the final trailer as you can. It's identical. Uh, you can go side to side. They're identical. I'm telling yeah, because you, because they're using that the, teaser using stuff the, was legit. At least some of it was. It wasn't because they're using the same engine and they're using the same animation and stuff. But what they were making there was a proof of concept. What they finally put in the game. If you can get the proof of concept stuff to translate to the game perfectly, great. But, but man, I'm telling you, never they're the same shots. I mean, unless the shots in the the real trailer were bogus, it's the same it's shot. Bogus. It's not. It's, it's not the same shot. It is. You've you created the same thing in the same engine as part of the actual game project, as opposed to the proof of concept project. I mean, um, I don't know how you, you get that angle to the pixel right. 
Like with you, the models exactly the same in the exact. I mean, you can put them side re, by side. You just rerun the animation script. That's all. That's it's uh, very simple. I, I don't I don't agree with that. But anyway, it's irrelevant anyway. Well, you can disagree with it. But there's two games that you were ridiculous to think were coming out this year, and that's Harry Potter uh, or Hogwarts Legacy, whatever we're calling it. And um, I'm still getting used to the fact they didn't put Harry Potter in the title. It is of the weird. Thing. Yeah, for um, sure. And God of War. God of War is not coming out this year and never was. It's, um, d- its trailer says 2021. Yeah, well, its trailer's lying. Okay, uh, but there's man, no you possible can't, you way. You can't like slag people for saying a game's coming out in 2021 when they tell you it's coming out in 2021. Um, if we learned anything from Cyberpunk, don't believe these people. <laughs> it's marketing. It's always all we marketing. have to go on. Always take marketing with a grain of salt. Horizon. Forbidden, forbidden West, forbidden West, is, yeah. forbidden West is the big like holiday game for PlayStation Five. God of War will be out next year, guaranteed. Like it, it's it's not going to happen. Um, I mean, I would it's love been it in development for four years. Hmm? It's been in development for four years, and they also said that Hogwarts Legacy has been in development for three years. I believe was the report. Yeah, I mean Hogwarts Legacy. Uh, They've got more. They got bigger fish to fry in some ways. I think uh, I would imagine they're also trying to internally figure out how they're going to market this game while keeping J.K. Rowling as far away from it as possible um, because of the the optics of that. That's what um, I wanted to ask you, Matt. How much of this delay? I know it's at least a little part of it. How much of this delay do you think was them wanting kind of the heat to blow over with J.K. Rowling? Probably not a ton. Yeah. Uh, because I don't think that heat's ever blowing over because she won't shut up. Um, also, like, they I guess might saw be... Harry refuses to be in the new film because of her. Yeah, uh, they, they might be uh, trying to um, synergize it with the new film because um, I think that's, that's I probably figured. slipping as well until next year. Um, you probably want... Because, like, look, Harry Potter hasn't had a whole lot of content in the pipeline recently, so it would make sense to sort of, sort of do all this sort of in the same vicinity with each other to sort of hey, go be, hey, the Wizarding World is back kind of thing, you know? Yeah, they had those um, spin-off films that I haven't really enjoyed, to be they're awful. honest. I, mean, I don't think they're The, the last one was... Crimes of Grindelwald is one of the dumbest things I've ever seen in, a, in the recent, recent years, and I saw the Zack Snyder DC movies. Um, it was just poorly written, and apparently she writes those. Like, she's oh. the sole credited screenwriter on those, so... Maybe that's um, why the books aren't coming out as frequently as they used to. Maybe she's well, lost it. Well, there's no more books. The books have been well, over Oh, she's not going to make any more? She's not going to write any more? No. I mean, they did... Um, I mean, the books ended, you know, however many, 10 years, 10-some years ago. If you can't ago. tell, I'm not a huge Harry Potter fan. No, Harry Potter <laughs> ended a long, long time ago. Okay. Like, like 2008, 2009? Oh, I have no idea. That's the last um, book, though, huh? The Deathly Hallows is the final book, yeah. Okay. And then... Um, so what's the new the, movie going to be? The new movies are prequels uh, that are based on, so the Fantastic Beasts sort of overarching IP there, Mm -hmm. that is based on, because there were supplementary books she put out uh, called Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them by uh, whatever whatever his name, the main character in that. Um, They're textbooks, like they're in-universe textbooks of like creatures in the world. It's supposed to be this character, I went around the world in you know, the 1920s or whatever, and and found all these magical creatures and wrote them up in, like, an encyclopedia. And the idea is that this is a book that, like, Hogwarts students study to learn about magical creatures. So then she took that concept and they made prequel movies out of them that also are supposed to be incorporating the backstories of, like, Dumbledore and Grindelwald and all these kind of the older characters that were in the Harry Potter books sort of, like, the you know, two generations ago or whatever. Um, 
But as with all prequels, you have run into the problem of like, well, if this was the interesting story, you would have told this first yeah. anyway. Uh, and they're just like, they're nonsensical. They didn't, the, you know, the two movies don't really match up with each other very well. Uh, they, you know, she tries to drag Dumbledore into it and it doesn't really work. And now it sounds like they're going to have to change villains again. Cause like, uh, Grind, you know, the Grindelwald turned out to be, um, you know, was, was played by another actor and then turned out to be Johnny Depp at the end of the first movie. And so he was that in the new movie and now Johnny Depp's stepping down. So they have to replace him with another guy. So the villain's just going to keep being played by different actors, I guess. Well, it's like the guy who plays Harry Potter says he won't be in the new film. And that has me confused because if it's a prequel, why would he be in the film anyway? He wouldn't. I don't know what you're talking I, I, no, I think he just... No. He just said he's not going to do any future Harry Potter stuff. No, um, no. So they've just this week, the entire cast of the original films, they're working on a new movie. And the only person not there is the guy who plays Harry. Uh, well, that doesn't make any sense unless they're doing a, a filmed version of The Cursed Child, the stage play, um, which I guess is possible. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I read three articles about it this week um, that he's like, no, because of J.K. Rowling, I can't in good conscience be a part of the project. And then the other ones are yeah, like, that makes sense. we're hoping that he comes around because how do we do this without him? So, um, yeah, just, I think the news just broke this week that a new film is coming or whatever. So as I was doing research, honestly, for the Sifted Countdown and for today's show, um, I stumbled across that stuff. So, yeah. I tend to agree with you. Like, I think the J.K. Rowling's behavior is a very, very small component of this. The type of money that they're talking about, let's be honest, most people don't care what J.K. Rowling thinks. They love Harry Potter. And they're going to go see a Harry Potter movie or play a Harry Potter video game because they love Harry Potter. Um, I Um, I think very few consumers are as conscious as we would hope that they would be. Somewhat. The the new Harry Potter film is just a rumor at this point, it seems. Uh, if it's anything, it would be that stage play done because that's a, that's a direct sequel with them older and stuff. Um, the main problem is that like Harry Potter's is not particularly relevant anymore. Yeah, I mean um, if it's been gone for like a decade at this point. It's been gone, but I mean um, Fantastic Beasts is still around. The problem is Fantastic Beasts isn't any good. Like that's, yeah. that's the trick is like if you if you keep feeding this with good content, it'll remain. You know, and Harry Potter's never going away because the whole generation that grew up on it, and uh, you know. There's a there's a whole cottage industry to, of, of uh, fandom devoted to trying to figure out a way to be a Harry Potter fan without giving any more money to, to Rowling. Um, <laughs> That's but, hilarious. Uh, uh, I've seen some people that were very very adamant that like uh, oh this delay is clearly for them to find a way to remove her from. That I'm like I don't, there's no way to get Harry Potter away from her. Yeah, there's like, no impeachment proceedings for a writer. No, there's no, yeah, you can't you can't do that. Um, like the, the best you could do would be to convince her to sell it off, like George Lucas sold Star Wars, which I don't see her ever doing. Yeah, I don't either. Um, uh, so it's it's you're kind of stuck with it. I guess buy a used copy if it if it's going to be a problem for you. Um, or like buy the game and then contribute the same amount to like a, a, a trans youth charity or something like there's, there's ways around it, I guess, if you need yeah. it for, for soothing the conscience. Um, it's funny though, where we're, we're getting put in these positions now though, where you're like, you yeah. know what? I don't really agree with the person who makes this stuff, but I really like the stuff that they make. So how can I get around the fact that I don't yeah, want to like I would them? very, I, I am very, I am interested in Hogwarts legacy. I like that as a concept for the game. I'm for really game. excited for it. Yeah. I think it's going to um, be great. And I'm not a big Potter fan, to be honest with you. No, I mean, I like them. I, I'm not, you know, it's not like a star Wars or a Lord of the Rings to me. You know, it's, it's a, it's a fun little thought. Oh, that was nice. That's cool. I like, I like the, I've never actually seen the last movie. In fact, 
I did. Um, I've seen them the, all. The, I've not seen the, the Deathly Hallows Part Two. I, I didn't see that in theaters, and I just never got around. I actually own it. I have like a full set of them. But when I watched the whole set, I did it with the riff tracks uh, <laughs> add on, like Mr. Right. Theater guys. Yeah. And I had not done one for Deathly Hallows Part Two at the time I did that. So I just skipped it and I never went back. So at some point, I should probably watch that final Harry Potter movie. The other thing I would say, too, is if you watch his trailer, it seems nearly done. I mean, they show so many facets of the game in this gameplay trailer. Um, it looks like it's really far along. So I mean, we thought that about Cyberpunk, too. That's true. I mean, it's very easy to fool people um, mm-hmm. with media, that's for sure. With uh, It's like we like to call them bull shots. Um, so anyway, that's Harry Potter. It's actually not Harry Potter. It's called Hogwarts Legacy. Do you think they should rename it and put Harry's name in it? No, I don't think Hogwarts is a mystery word by any stretch of the imagination. It's it's pretty obvious what it was. Yeah. And uh, I'm a little surprised they didn't call it like Wizarding World Hogwarts Legacy. Like Wizarding World seems to be sort of the it's the new brand overarching kind of. thing now because it's what they call the theme park areas, yep. and it's like it just feels like that's you know. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter has sort of been the the brand name for a while. Well, I think here's the thing, though, man. I think the reason they don't have Harry Potter in there is because you don't play Harry Potter. You play as like a new recruit or whatever. So right, but you're gonna. I mean, the Wizarding World is sort of a you know, yep. a, a good umbrella term, I guess. Agreed. But I mean, look, Hogwarts. Everybody in the world knows what Hogwarts is. It's yep. not like you're you're gonna wonder what that is when you see it. It'll be interesting um, to see if like my nieces and nephews latch on to Harry Potter. Um, because there's no new stuff coming mm. out for it, um, but that is an IP that kids generally really resonate with. I mean, I, th- I think the books are eternal for the most part. Like yeah. the book, the books are going to remain what they are, and the story is going to work for for new generations. Uh, just like you know, Raw Doll stuff, you know, Willy Wonka and and that kind of thing. I get that kind of it's going to be part of sort of the, the the children's British children's literature canon, you know, as much as anything. Um, I, I feel like I feel like that story is going to resonate with kids. No matter what, you know, maybe, I mean, maybe, you know, in the in the after the water wars and we're all in uh, some kind of Mad Max scenario, everyone's gonna be like, what's a school like then it won't work so well. But like until then, uh, when we still uh, we still have trains, I think it will be uh, uh, a fun thing for any any kid to because everybody wants that that fantasy of like, yeah, oh, of you're course. you're actually super special and you get to go to a special school and learn how to cast fireball. And so, yeah. you know, that's it's, it's a it's a fun idea. Like it's it's good. Uh, and especially the early books, I think, are very charmingly written. Whimsy, I think it, yeah. I think it bogs down in its own mythology. I think it's too dark after six. a while for a lot of kids. It just kind well, of loses the thing, that, like the kids, that was the thing about it at the time was the kids grew up with it. Yeah, um, and they were slowly morphed into that place. Right. Yeah, and now you're sort of going to be have to pick an age where you read them all to a kid kind of thing, and yeah. like you're going to be you know. It's hard to think, you know, I think, I think you're at a good age, like eight, you know, seven, eight, like, you know, for early stuff. And then you're like, you know, but like, would I read like an eight year old Deathly Hallows? Like it's a little heavy. Like once you get to that point. Yep. For sure. Um, this, I mean, I think Harry Potter's gonna be around forever. Uh, same way Star Wars and they'll and milk all those it are, somehow. They'll find yeah. out some way to keep it going for sure. A, there's too much too money valuable. there, and, yeah. and B, the the books are are good. The yeah. story's good. It works. And new so. people will always be discovering them, and blah blah blah. Yeah. Anyway, so there you go. That's Hogwarts Legacy delayed to 2022. By the way, so they didn't mm-hmm. just like come out to di- this week and be like. We're going to need a few more months. They knew in January that they were not going to get the game done this year, which yeah, makes me would, wonder if even 2022 is a safe bet now. I would look for this around the same time the next Fantastic Beast comes out, which actually I have not been paying attention to. So, yeah. 
I don't know when that would be. Or I, I would think it was supposed to be this year, but I'm sure it slipped to next year because of the pandemic. Everything is all... It's all jambled up and confusing. Out. Yep. Um, but I, w- I would expect they're going to be... So this is... Yeah. Okay. It's called uh, delayed 2021. Before the pandemic already got delayed to 2021. And now it looks like it's being pushed to next year. Yeah. Well, that that's probably why they delayed the game too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. That That is my guess for most likely reason so why. Cur- currently, Fantastic Beast 3 is slated for July 15th, 2022. Um, so I would probably look July twelfth, twenty twenty two. For yeah, I would, I would look for the game around that time, or maybe June, or maybe uh, closer to the fall in some sort of like synergy with the Blu Ray release or something. Yep, something okay. like that. It's it's going to try to piggyback on uh, Fantastic Beasts three. That would be my guess. Okay, it's time for us to move on. And as I said earlier. And we'll have the same conversation in a couple months when God of War moves to next year officially. (laughs) I hope not. I'm going to keep my fingers crossed on that one. Um, We're going to talk next about another Switch game that I played, and not just another Switch game, another demo that is on the Switch eShop right now. Um, And that game is called Little Nightmares 2. Um, When the first game came out, the first Little Nightmares, it, it got like a groundswell of kind of interest. It is published by Bandai Namco, so it's not really like, it's not technically an indie game, but it looks like an indie game. Um, And I think that was really the first kind of smaller game that uh, Bandai Namco actually published. And it's continued to do some smaller stuff like that. And we've seen EA now has its little kind of indie imprint. Uh, You see the big guys kind of getting into that, and they'll have kind of their own little side label that they use for it. Uh, But not Bandai Namco. This is published full throat by the Japanese publisher, Um, And it is the follow-up to the first one. I did not finish the first game, so I'm just going to be honest with you. I do not know if this is a direct continuation of the first. I think I played the first one three hours, maybe, something like that. Um, It wasn't very much. Um, Just enough to get a good idea of it. I think I just played it for, like, our Game of the Year awards towards the end of the year one year. Yeah, I I played the first one very briefly. I liked the look of it and stuff. It just wasn't, wasn't on my priority list for whatever reason. I actually forgot Bandai Namco published that. Yep. I, was, I, was, I don't associate them with things like that. Yep. So it is kind of a horror game. <coughs> it's not like blood and guts horror, although no, it's, it's Tim Burton-y. Yeah, it's, there are hints at that stuff, though. Um, but for the most part, it is pretty tame. Like, I wouldn't worry about, like, my eight- or nine-year-old son or daughter playing this game. Uh, but there are some themes that are a little scary. The, the themes are creepy. The environments are creepy. And the other part of it, too, is that I have no idea if this demo starts you at the beginning of the game because there's like a there's not even really a cinematic. It shows him like walking down a hallway and then he just gets warped to this world that you see right here. So I don't know if there's more setup to this uh, when you play the full game or not. But I basically they just throw you into this world and they're like, figure it out. Um, The series is a puzzle platformer with stealth. Um, So it does have like a lot of different elements. The platforming in the game is not like, hey, here's this gauntlet of crazy jumps. Can you do it? It's more like, Mm -hmm. hey, how do you organize these platforms so that it's possible to now jump across this chasm? Um, So there's a lot of, as you're seeing right now in the B-roll, dragging objects to get them to the right place so you can jump on top of them and then get up to the ledge. Uh, There's lots of stuff like that. Things where you have to figure out how to manipulate the environment to make progress going forward. Um, the demo that's on the eShop, it took me about 25 or 30 minutes to finish it. So it's pretty long. Um, and what the B-roll that you're seeing is all chronological. So you're basically just seeing the demo as I played it. 
Um, and you start in this woods area, and you work through the woods area, and eventually you get to this cabin. Um, and once you get to the cabin, that's where you really start to understand the real plot of the game. Uh, because you get there, and you go into the house, and you're sneaking around the people. There's, like, fake people sitting at a dining table, like, upstairs. You go past them, you go down to the basement, and you find that there is this little boy who is locked up in the house's basement. Um, and you find an axe, and you take the axe in, you break down the door, you rescue him. I mean, at first, it doesn't seem like you're going to team up. He runs away. He's scared. You're like, what the heck? Why is this child down here locked up? And then as you go back upstairs and you start making your way, he starts to help you. And then it becomes a co-op game, where it's you and this boy that you rescued essentially trying to escape these maniacs. Because once you get into the house, you do then come into contact with real humans, not fake humans sitting at a dining table. And he pulls out a shotgun and tries to blast you. Um, and you run away from him through the grass, and then it turns into a stealth section. He comes out with like a big lantern, and he's pulling the lantern. And he's a giant, by the way. You're like the size of like a big toe. The human is like the size of a skyscraper. So it's another one of those little person, big world type games. When you go into like the kitchen, like you can't even get up on the table. It's so tall because you're so little. So it's one it of those like a big deal in indie games lately. What the small person, big yeah, world small, thing? Small people in a big world. That's a big deal. Yeah, well, it, it works very well in this because it is a horror game. And so yeah. you, you realize, you're like, I'm helpless. Like, if, if one of these big enemies decides to kill me, there's no way I can evade it or survive it. I need to just avoid it altogether. And that's really what this whole game is about, danger avoidance. Um, and that typically is found, at least I feel like, you see that in a lot of games like uh, point-and-click adventure games where they don't want you to engage in combat they teach you to avoid it instead. And a lot of times, if you get into combat, you just instantly die. And that's kind of the way this is. It is kind of an all-or-nothing game. Some of the puzzles um, are simple, like this one. Pick up the stick and then use the stick to set off the bear trap so you don't walk over the bear trap. Um, but some of them are a little more convoluted and handled a little differently. Um, and so, like, there's an action sequence, like you saw earlier, where the log is rolling. It requires a lot of trial and error in general. Um, there's no way you're going to survive, survive that long log roll the first time. You're just not, because you're just walking along, and all of a sudden, it just starts rolling after you. And once you play it the second time, you realize to get past that part, you have to start running instantly. As soon as that log appears, you better be running, or you're not going to outrun it. Uh, so the game is set up. I don't think there's any way you could get through this game playing it the first time without dying. I don't think it's possible because it just sets you up to get killed instantly so that you go back and the checkpoints are very generous. Go back to the checkpoint. You're like, okay, well, like for this, for example, you're seeing now I'm throwing these acorns into these leaves to set off the traps. Well, the first time I came through here, I ran right into the leaves and I died. And that's kind of the way the whole game is. Um, they kill you. Uh, and not gruesomely, again, I think eight, nine-year-old kids should be okay with this game. They kill you, and then it's your job to figure out why it happened, and then how to avoid it, and then how to get into the next section or the next room of the game. Um, so it's a lot of trial and error. It reminds me a lot of a point-and-click adventure game. Uh, there isn't a ton of action in it. Like, even I said earlier, like, you get an axe. It's like, you don't have that axe then that you use throughout the entire game. The axe is there for that one use. You drag it across the floor use all your muscle that you can to swing it to break down the door, and then you don't use it again. Um, the only inventory thing that I've come across so far in this game are hats. So right now, I've got just like a bag over my head, basically. Hmm. 
after you rescue the boy down in the basement, you get like a raccoon hat. And I have not figured out yet what the hats do. I don't know if they change your abilities. It didn't seem like it. I got the raccoon hat and it just changed my appearance. So I don't know if like further into the game that stuff starts to make a difference. Um, it is a separate option in like the pause screen. Um, and there's a grid that shows like 20 possible hats. So my guess is that there's some kind of a gameplay impact, um, but I'm not sure because I got the raccoon hat and it didn't seem like it did anything for me. Uh, but otherwise, it's not one of those games where you're like, getting new abilities all the time. It's one of those things, it's one of those games where you're learning while you play and then you use what you've learned from playing to try to avoid danger in the future. For example, I discovered the bear trap the first time when I tried to walk through the log. I probably should have been looking for bear traps when I came to that next pile of leaves. I didn't because I'm stupid, but I should have. So there are hints in the game, but they're very subtle. And I think for most people, it is going to be a lot of trial and error, uh, making a mistake, dying, going back, trying it again, trying something different, trying to figure it out. Um, one thing I would say, there is free jumping in this game. You can just jump on your own if you want to. But as I said earlier, there's not like hardcore platforming in the game. But the game doesn't, adding to the trial and error frustration of this game is that the game doesn't tell you stuff. So the very first screen, as soon as you land in the woods, you come to a log and a gap and you have to jump over it. Well, you can't make the jump. So you keep jumping and you're like, you're getting to it. It looks like you should be able to grab onto it, but you just keep falling. Well, that's because there's a grab button in this game and they don't tell you that. So if you didn't hit pause and go and look at the control scheme in the menus and you're just playing the game, I basically tried to jump up on that ledge I don't, like 50 times before the game <clears throat> finally said, hold ZR to grab on the ledges. And it does that the whole time. There are so many points in just what I played where if they had just told me how things were supposed to work, I would have figured it out right away. And I'm not saying tell me how, how to solve the puzzle. Just tell me how things work. Like, what are my capabilities? What are my capabilities with this thing that I just found, that I just picked up? It's really ambiguous. It, there's no hand-holding really at all in the game. Some people may like that. I found it to be a little bit frustrating. But what really sells this game is the tone and the setting and the circumstances and the situations that the game puts you in. It's not a gory game, but it does a very good job of imparting terror on someone who is playing it. Um, it was I was uneasy playing this whole game, and part of it is there's, like, no voiceover. So all you get is, like, really moody, really creepy music and, like, creaking floors and stuff like that. Um, that might be part of it. It doesn't really... Persona, the game isn't really personified, if that makes any sense. You feel mm -hmm. like you're just kind of this ghoul floating through the game with a bunch of other ghouls. And in that way, like the tone um, and the setting and all that type of stuff is really, really good. Like just this scene right here when you're rescuing the boy um, and you're afraid of him and he's afraid of you. Like the animation in it is really good. And the animation can kind of tell the story on its own. Even though your character has a bag on his head, it does a great job of relaying sort of the emotion uh, and what that character is thinking. Uh, here you can see the hats. I have two out of, it looks like, 12 or something like that. But I could not figure yeah. out if they did. From what I can find, those are just cosmetic. They are cosmetic? Okay. Um, so I have a raccoon hat. Now I look like Davy Crockett. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, But that's Little Nightmares too. Matt, what, what did you think of the first game? Um, I mean, I liked what I played of it. I didn't play a ton of it. Um, I liked the look of it more than anything else. Um, it kind of was around the same time as like where I really burned out on the sort of 
you know, visually stylistic side scrolling indie platformer. Um, yeah. And this, like. Because there are plenty of those, let's be honest. Yeah. Um, it also kind of came on the heels, or maybe around the same. I, I want to say it was around the same time I was thoroughly underwhelmed by Inside, mm. um, which I know is like a darling, but I, which is, I like. It was fine, but like people continually hold that game up as like some kind of like work of genius. And I'm like, I don't get it. Um, and at that point, like little nightmares just wasn't, it just didn't, didn't stick to me, I guess. Uh, I, I kind of had my eye on this, but I, did this come out or are you playing a review version? No, it's or just something? a demo. There's a demo. demo. The, they're actually, it's not just on the eShop. I only, I played it on the eShop cause I was already playing my switch and it was easy, mm. uh, but there's a demo for this everywhere on every platform right now. So if you have a PS4, Xbox, whatever, anybody can play this demo. All right. Um, like I'd try it. Um, the, but the first one's always been kind of one of those games I kept meaning to go back to yeah. and try again. I just never did. It got a lot of great word of mouth. In fact, on Sifted, a lot of people really liked the first Little Nightmares. Yeah. I remember a lot of people talking about it, being like, hey, I gave this a try, and wow, I actually really had a good time with it. I could see that, even in this sequel, why certain people would really enjoy the franchise. Um, and I will I will probably play this again when it comes out. I'll be honest with you. It did not turn me off to the point where I don't want to give it another go. Um, I can also get through this section of the game now because it is all trial and error. So when I played this the first time, it took me 30 minutes or whatever. I could probably get through this whole demo now in like eight minutes because I know everything I'm supposed to do. The other problem I came across in this game is that objects that you need to use, first of all, they're not highlighted like they are in a lot of point-and-click games where you can kind of see that like little white edge around the stuff you actually need to interact with. There's nothing like that in this game. So you have to find it all on your own in the first place. The other problem, though, is that the detection on the objects is really wonky. So, for example, the axe I talked about earlier. I saw the axe before I ended up using it and was just like, I jumped all around it. I was hitting the interact. Nothing would happen. It wouldn't, my character would not grab the axe. It would not interact with the axe. I go into the other room. I see the wooden door. I'm like, I know I need to knock that down with the axe. So I went back in and just started jumping all around the, and finally, the character grabs onto the handle and then pulls it down. And when you're talking about a game like this where it's like, nope, that's not how you do it. You got to find the other way to do it. That stuff needs to work, man. Like, you can't present an object that I need to use and make me think I'm not supposed to use it. And this game does that a lot. Um, And then, you know, some of the stuff's heavy and you have to drag it and it takes a long time and you get it where you need it and it's not the right thing. You have to go all the way back. So there are some... There are some annoyances in this game, but I think a lot of them are also endemic to the point-and-click genre. So I would say, if you're watching what we're t- this game and you're like, that seems cool, and you like what we've talked about so far, I would probably ask myself, do I generally like point-and-click games? And if you don't, I would probably stay away from this. Or if you're just a person that typically really gets irritated by trial and error... I would probably stay away from it. But if you like moody stuff, if you like thinking games, some of the puzzles in this took me a while to figure out, even in this very early demo. Um, But if you're that type of person, I think this game will resonate with you. Do not go for it if you're like into action games. You're about to see the only action in the game here in about five seconds. There isn't that much. And usually the quote unquote action in the game are more like, they're like set piece moments. Like the one you're about to see a human chases you with a shotgun and you have to run away and you have to get behind boxes. So he shoots. You have to make sure you're behind a box when he shoots. 
And then while he's reloading, you need to scurry down the path and get behind the next box and make sure you're securely behind it before he shoots again. Rinse and repeat until you get to the end of the stage. That's about as action-y as this game gets. You don't get weapons and you're hacking and slashing stuff. You're not shooting stuff. It really is just kind of a thoughtful game uh, where you look at the environment, you look for clues. Like the right analog stick kind of lets you look out of frame, and that's really important. Uh, A lot of times the clues are just like right out of frame. That's the type of game this is. Um, It is coming to every platform, um, so if you're interested in it, pretty much anyone's going to be able to play it. And the first game also was released at a cheaper price, so you're not going to have to pay like 60 bucks for this game. I haven't seen what the price of this is going to be yet, um, but my guess is it's not going to be a full-price game. I would probably say probably 30 something like that would be my guess. Mm. We'll see. Um, we don't know that for sure yet. But um, I will say this. I was not that excited to play it at first. Um, I really thought that um, I would play it for like five minutes and then put it down. Um, but, but ultimately, I ended up playing the demo all the way to the end until I got the thanks for playing, go buy the game on the eShop right now screen. So... I did have fun with it. I will pick it back up uh, when it gets closer to launch. Uh, but you can find out for yourself for free right now, no matter which, which platform uh, you currently own. So there you go. That's Little Nightmares 2. Come into pretty much everything. And now we're going to talk about Cyberpunk 2077 again. <laughs> um, when do you think we'll finally finish talking about this game, Matt? Um, <laughs> what year? Maybe, maybe never. <laughs> it could be this thing that we hearken back to just over and over because it has set so many precedents in how its launch was handled, how, and how not to do anything, and how, in all honesty, right, a playbook on how not to do things. So, as you guys know, if you've watched Game Face, it has been a disaster. Uh, the PS4 and Xbox One versions of the game were launched essentially unplayable. You can play them, but you're going to suffer through bugs. Uh, Your saves might get corrupted or might get wiped out. On PlayStation 5 and Xbox Series X, it ran a little better, but still crashed constantly. Um, It crashed right till the end for me, Matt. Like, I did you have you gone back Mm -hmm. and finished it yet? No, I haven't. I played a little more like after our last show, and at a certain point, I I don't know, it was like crashed or something happened, or I got bored or whatever. I just stopped. Mm -hmm. I was like. I'll come back to it when they fix the HDR, when they get the next gen patch done, when they, yeah, when it's done. I'll I'll, I'll play it again when it's done. I mean, I put like sixty hours into it, like a lot of open world stuff. Like I found tons of weapons. That's crazy. You you spent so much time with it and never finished it because you spent more time with it than I did, and I did Mm -hmm. finish it. I I ran around. I mean, I'm like somewhere in the mid to late act two, but I was I'm running around finding stuff and poking around the world. But at a certain point. I don't know. At a certain point, the seams get too obvious, and like, yeah, you know, I, I don't expect this to be fixed at any point. It's just how the game design worked. But it's like, I was hoping for something on the level in terms of like uh, narrative structure um, beyond the main quest, like Witcher Three, in the way that Witcher Three side quests and even the hunting quests like have something of, of note and narrative value to them. And it's just not here in this game. Like it's like all the side stuff is just go here, kill everybody pick a thing out of a treasure chest, you're done. Like yeah. there's no verve so, to it. There's no structure. There's no narrative ideas. It's just, if you want like the like Witcher, Witcher 3 quality, like writing the storytelling, you play the main quest or nothing. Yep. Like it's I agree just, a thousand percent insane. with that. Um, it is at the end of the game, you get to a point of no return where they're like, hey, yeah. this is it. 
Um, you need to decide if you want to mop everything else up before you trudge forward to finish the game. And so I did stop. And I, believe it or not, Matt, I went and played some side missions in one of these <laughs> games. And that is because I love the, the main missions in this game right to the end. I was completely sucked into this game until it got to that point of no return. I was like, I want more. I can't believe this is the point of no return already. And then they're like, well, you might want to go finish some stuff up. So I was like, okay, I will. And I just started looking at the map and like just started picking missions. Like I went... And I had sex with a hooker for the first time. Like, I hadn't done it the whole game. So I was like, I need to experience it before I finish it. I'll go do it. Really disappointing. The whole relationship system in this game, really disappointing. All the way to the end, I would add. Um, sex is basically a cutscene in this game. There's no, there's no like, romancing somebody or any of that. It's just like, hey, go pay a prostitute to have sex. And you see this cutscene with some boobies. And that's pretty much it. So... Point of no return, I had really loved the story and the missions I had been playing through the main campaign at that point. I'm like, all right, I need to go back and see if some of this side mission stuff is good. Oh, no. Oh, no. It is exactly what you said it is, Matt. It is just a bunch of fetch quests. Go here. There's a, there's a scuffle on the street. Kill all of them. Come back and collect your reward. So I did. I went and had sex with a prostitute, and I probably completed. I went and completed all the missions that I had not gone back and collected my reward for yet. Because what happens is, in this game in particular, you'll finish a mission, but then someone else will call your phone. And if you accept that mission, at least I completely forgot about the one I just finished. And a lot of those are like, you need to come to my house to get your reward. And like, I just had never done it. So I had like six, I think, missions that I just needed to go and collect my reward for that I had never done it. And then I started poking around in the side. And yeah, they're really bad and really uninteresting and really dull. So I just went and finished the game. Um, I really enjoyed the game uh, a lot. Uh, but like I haven't played it the way you have. If I had played it like you, I don't know if I would have lasted sixty hours, Matt. To be perfectly yeah. honest, I mean, I and I did a lot of like you know playing it while I was listening to something else or whatever. My usual open world stuff, and I I like the main story well enough, but it doesn't. It's not compelling enough to pull me through it for the most part. Um, I'm just not. I I'm shocked at how uninterested in this game I am in the wow. end. Uh, like I'm hoping the DLC has a little more verve to it because, like, obviously the DLC for Witcher Three was very strong. Uh, well, that's why that we're talking about this game today, Matt, because uh, they just announced that both the DLC and the next gen versions of this game have been delayed, in, basically indefinitely. The yeah, DLC, they said, probably by the end of the year. Um, and they've done this so that they can get the versions that the vast majority of people bought <laughs> to work. They've done this so they can sell it on the PlayStation Store again. <laughs> exactly. I mean, yeah. I mean, you have to realize, too, that, you know, probably the PS4 version is the one that sold the most. So while people like you and I are playing PS5 or Xbox Series X, you're like, eh, it crashes every once in a while. That sucks. People on PS4 and Xbox One are like, bro, this game is trash, like complete trash. So do you think it was the right call? It was the only call, wasn't it? What else can you do? You got to. Like, you you got like to make versions. Sony happy. So, because otherwise you have no revenue stream. Like, they're doing, I mean, the, the stuff's like half the 8 million pre orders were PC. Um, so clearly that turned out okay. Um, yes, I would have to imagine. Oddly enough, the, the PC and Stadia the, versions are like the most stable. I would have to imagine the tail on this is mostly console, though. Like, yep. Um, like I mentioned, the, the, the PC sales would be front loaded and console sales would be the longer tail. And if you don't have your game on PSN, uh, you don't get any of that. 
Um, so, mm-hmm. uh, it's, is it that, or is it trying to keep the people who already bought it from killing you? Um, I mean, people I don't are think pissed, it's, and rightfully so. I don't think it's that serious. I mean, everybody got their refund opportunity, so that's true. Yeah, you're you, kind of you off want, the hook at that point, I guess. You want to you want to whip it into shape, get it back on the PSN, get it back on on the stores in a, in in a form that you can then say, hey, it's okay to try this again, because um, you want that money back, basically. Yep. Uh, especially because you 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 had to refund everyone, but Sony didn't have to give back their cut. Apparently, is how that works, which is pretty well negotiated for Sony in terms of how they get people to sign their contracts. But um, it's uh, and there's a lot. There's a big redemption story in play. I mean, that's the thing. I the thing about it is like this isn't like No Man's Sky where you're going to slowly up, update this game and like two years or three years later, you'll put out a new trailer on Twitter or something and people who played the game once in like 2016 are going to be like, oh, wow, this doesn't look like the thing I played before. What's this? And people are like, oh, it's really good now. You should try it. Like, okay, I'll go try it. Like there's that kind of thing of like people come back to it and sort of dip into it and realize that it's a big, big new thing. I feel like they're going to have a much further uphill battle on this one because like how do you... Like the the differences in something like like No Man's Sky are self evident when you see those new trailers. Yeah. For this game, it's like, how do you know it's fixed? Yeah. How do you sell it? You just show footage that like, doesn't have bugs. <laughs> you show footage yeah. where it's not crashing. Like, like you, you can't do? do that. Like there's no way to, to evidently show that. You know, like yep. it's uh, it's it's you basically have to trust CD Projekt Red again. And, and how can you? Good luck. You That's know, it's why like I'm wondering if it's... And look, I, I think obviously, yes, it does make sense. Fixed the PS4 and Xbox One versions. A lot of people bought it. But I do wonder if you're ever getting those people back, Matt. You brought it up yourself. Like, how do they trust CD Projekt Red? Mm-hmm. And if they can't, is it smarter to focus on the PC, PlayStation 5, and Xbox Series X version instead well, here's the thing. I don't think they can until they make good with Sony and Microsoft. They may not um, let them. Yeah, uh, like Sony's not. Point. Sony's pissed. Like I know yeah. that. Like like Sony's not pleased about any of this. As it should be. Um, and I think the I think the 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 key step into getting them to trust you again is it, you know is basically when it's fixed or when you think it's ready for prime time or whatever you want to call it. You need Sony and Microsoft to step forward and say, "Hey, it's okay now. We certified it. We played it. We it's it's you know as far as we're concerned, this is a functional game, and we're willing to sell it again." I mean, let's be um, honest, Matt. I feel like trust in Sony and Microsoft has probably been eroded through this as well. Not everyone no, is going to blame CD Projekt Red. There, are some people are going to be like, "But you sold this to me. It's on your system." Blah blah. Yeah, blah. but then they turned around and offered instant refunds and pulled it from the store. Like, there's nothing yeah. else you can really do uh, in that regard. And from what I understand, like the, you know, this is a pretty common practice where like you give you give the game for certification, and you're like, okay, this is the game that's shipping on the disc. This is the list of things that the day one patch is going to address. So if that comes up, that's in this. So we're going to get that done day one. And there you go. And like 99% of the time, the day one patch notes that they get for certification are accurate. And in this case, they were not. And that is weird, especially from a company as large and well-funded as CD Projekt. And you even saw the, 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 I think it was the CEO guy saying this week, it's like, yeah, we were looking at it on the vanilla consoles and it just looked like it was getting better and better. We really thought we would hit it by then (laughs) at the time of launch. And I'm just like, (laughs) <laughs> what that like, like what were you That's looking at what did it look like three months ago I don't at that rate? that at all 
It's uh, unless you're talking about like on dev stations that have more RAM or something. Like a lot like, more. Yeah. Like, I mean, a lot of times dev stations have like double the RAM. Yeah. Of, or more. Of, like, yeah. Of the, of the final, of the actual retail console. But like, at what point, I don't see a scenario in which you could be looking at the vanilla console versions and think that they were functional in, in, in a way. I, I, it's a debacle. And I think they all knew and they just released it anyway. And they're like, we'll deal with the repercussions. And now they are. Um, yeah. And I, they, I mean, they're going to need Sony and Microsoft's assistance when it comes to relaunching this thing. I just find like, it hard no to believe it. that anybody who bought a PS4 or Xbox One version and got angry and returned it, I just really struggle to see them paying for the game again. I just yeah. do. Well, especially because, like, I don't think it's that great. Like, it's. It's good. Like I, I think I'd call it a good game, but I wouldn't call it a great game. And I don't know if fixing all the bugs is going to change that. Like my, a lot of my problems with it are very rooted in its design and their choices, their creative choices, not just their technical problems. Well, I think it's pretty obvious, especially for me, having finished the game, that this game was chopped hardcore. Like just, I can just tell there are big pieces of the game that were removed, and I don't know mm-hmm. if that stuff ends up getting move to DLC or somehow it it also turns out that the online stuff that has also been delayed is going to be like GTA online with like heists and stuff. Right. Which I'm not that excited by or I would be playing GTA online. So I don't know if maybe they'll repurpose some of that cut content into DLC and maybe it'll have a really long DLC tale. I don't know. All I know is that this game did not have enough primary campaign content. It just didn't. Yeah, and I think it seems, I mean, that's one of the reasons I kind of switched over to doing full open world stuff was there's a point in Act 2 where I started to feel like, oh, this thing's ramping up It's fast. moving fast, like, yeah. Like for a game that really takes its time in act, prologue in Act 1, there's a lot, much less content in Act 2. Yep. Um, and it, it happens very quickly. And there's a couple of things uh, that happen in the uh, game where I'm like, that doesn't make much sense. And I'm like, I wonder if there was some other scene or part of the yeah. game that was supposed to be in there that would have explained it a little And they more. still didn't add subtitles for foreign languages. I like, like yeah. I still have to turn the subtitles on to understand what any of the Japanese people are saying. It's like, like it's where do you just start? nonsense. It has so many problems. It's like, where do you even start, Matt? Like, I... Yeah. And again, that's again, I just... I really wonder if they are much better served just getting the next-gen version looking and playing as good as possible because I really think sales from today going forward are going to be on those platforms and not on PS4. Maybe, but at the same time, like you gotta, you gotta fix the basics before you can like, you know, polish it up on the next gen. Also, probably the longer you wait to kind of say like, here's the next gen version, the better, because it gives people time to forget. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Forget the pain. You're right. I, I hear you on that. Absolutely. Um, but, I'm, not, I'm not saying it's necessarily going to be successful, but I can see that being kind of part of the mindset. Um, like, I don't know how you recover from from this. It's, I don't it's, uh, what a I mean, long, it'll be okay. Like, you know, they'll be okay. It'll be fine in terms of like any revenues. They're, they're not going to go out of business or anything, but like, their next game better launch perfect. Like whatever <laughs> their Witcher, Witcher 4 or whatever the next thing they're doing better be fucking pristine in comparison. I'm, I would love to see what all those psycho CD Projekt Red fans that wanted to kill me because I released audio of a trailer, how they feel about CD Projekt Red now. 
Mm-hmm. Well, how about the people who like were sending that one reviewer uh, videos to make her epilepsy trigger? Right, right. Uh, yeah. On the site, it's like because she yeah, maybe- she didn't lo- she called the game the way she saw it, and she was right. Yeah, yeah. and they hadn't played it at all. There's like it's like it's. Yep. Yeah, I'd like to think that people like that learned a lesson on this one because so. most of those people, most of those people I saw, like came around. They're like, "Oh no, this isn't okay." Um, but like, how long does that lesson stick? Probably till the next big game they're excited about. You know, who knows? Well, you're um, right. Time does tend to make people forget, um, especially if you can put dangle something in front of them that really tempts them. Their memory becomes short real quick. So, I don't think CD Projekt Red is like doomed. I do think it'll probably never see 8 million pre-orders again for one of its games. I would say probably that. Not. Certainly not for the next one. Yep. Like yeah. maybe two down the road they could. It's going to take be like- 10 years to repair its reputation after this. I mean, it's been insane, Matt. Think about the ride well, the, that has been Cyberpunk 2077. The good news is that that's only two games. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> if you go by Cyberpunk time, one game pretty yeah. much. So you're right. Um, and it, they they release told, them about every five years. Yeah, yeah. that's about right. And they'll like probably end up remastering Cyberpunk five times, and it'll yeah, become the next Witcher three in that regard. It'll come out on everything eventually, and blah. Probably, I also I still think they're nuts if they don't make like kind of a, a even if it's just a somewhat quick and dirty remake Witcher one, yeah. in the Red Engine, yeah. package it in with with Witcher two quick and, and Witcher dirty. three trilogy thing and just call it a fucking day I sell the Witcher trilogy the Geralt trilogy for the next three generations it off will. of that thing. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at all. Because you're right, they're going to start looking for low, low-hanging fruit here soon because they're like, yeah, well, that's a real obvious our one. eight-year project, we made a lot of money, but people hate us now. So, mm-hmm. and we need the money, and no one's going to buy it now. So we need the money <laughs> to keep coming in. How do we do that? Like, I wouldn't even be surprised if they like send it out to someone like Blue Point or whatever and let them do it. Um, it'd probably be better if they sent it to Blue Point and let them do it. It would Maybe. probably be less money. I don't know if the logistics of if they're going to remake it in the red engine with that, if it would be was, better to do that or do it themselves. But like, yeah, I was joking. The Witcher, the Witcher one is pretty much not playable now. Um, it's, it's very, it's yeah. a very hard play. Even as someone who loved that game back at the time, like it's a, it's a slog. Yeah. Uh, and you could probably stand to do a version that removes the sex card collecting. Uh, it's uh, not a great look. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just like it would be nice to have that whole trilogy ready readily available for people to play on modern hardware and modern consoles because you never did get a console version of one yep. um and it would be you know if you're in a situation like they're in it, it, you could do worse than reminding people why they loved you in the first place yep absolutely all right let's move on we're going to talk next about the brand new xbox controller actually we're going to talk about that and the elite controller Matt, it appears that Xbox's controllers are having some problems. Um, the Elite, which I someone sent me for Christmas last year, and I will say this, just over these last couple months, I have really got to put it through its paces because I had hardly, I was hardly even playing my Xbox One. So I had it for like a whole year, hardly played it, got my Series X. I have played a ton with my Elite controller at this point, um, and I will say I love it. I think it's great. Uh, I've gotten to the point where I'm so used to it now that adjusting the tension on the sticks, I feel the difference now. Um, they mm. give you like this little tool where you can like make it tighter or looser. When I first got it, I was like messing with it. I'm like, it feels the same to me. I'm just going to leave them. Now that I've got used to playing with it, I can feel the difference in the sticks. Um, and I will say I like my Elite controller. But unfortunately, 
Um, Microsoft is also facing a class action lawsuit over the Elite Controller for analog stick drift, just like with the Joy-Cons and Nintendo. Um, there was some new, there were some updates on that this week as far as like how Mi- Microsoft is basically trying to get out of it and find another way to make good and get out of the class action lawsuit. That's a, that's a whole other topic. But the bottom line is even the Elite Controller is having issues right now. And keep in mind, this is like a $150 controller. This isn't the thing that you get with your system or the one that you buy that's made out of plastic. It's like top-of-the-line, solid-state stuff, and they're having problems with it. Um, and then we find out this week that Xbox has sent out a survey to its fans, its consumers, asking them if they would like the features that they've heard about, only heard about because they didn't buy one, the features that they've heard about in the PlayStation 5 DualSense controller. Um, Matt, is this an admission of defeat? No, it's probably just exploring their next options because I'm sure they're working on the Elite 3 and they'd like to know whether they should bother putting all that haptic stuff in it or not. Um, That's a good point. So that's probably a couple years down the road, but like, if if the Sony controller becomes sort of the new expectation... Um, then it would make sense to be able to match them on that. So that uh, just gauging some interest there, it seems to me. Um, Now, there have been problems with the new pack-in controller for Xbox Series X as well. Um, There have been issues with the controller not working the way it's supposed to. Uh, Another story came out this week that, like, people were like, why am I still using batteries in Xbox controllers? And it turns out that... Xbox had this deal with Duracell that had locked them in for. No, that was not true. Was it, it not true? Out. That was just nonsense. That was internet nonsense. Oh, okay. So that ended up being um, not a true story. Yeah. I have been having trouble with my. Why are they uh, still my... using batteries in, Matt? <laughs> I, don't know, I felt probably... better when I found that out. I was like, oh, that explains why they've been so. Probably dumb. easier than, uh, than building a, a rechargeable into it. Um, frankly, I prefer the battery thing because I use rat rechargeable batteries, uh, like double A batteries. And so I can just swap them out when they, when they run out, uh, as opposed to like, if, you know, when my, one of my dual shock threes could no longer hold a charge, it just didn't work anymore. You know, there wasn't much That's, I could yeah, do I mean, about they're it. worthless then. I mean, there are some um, people that'll crack them open and replace the yeah, battery. Yeah, I could do but, that. But like, but I, I just rather spend the 60 bucks. <laughs> yeah. It's just. Uh, I have uh, been having trouble with the pack-in Xbox Series X controller uh, disconnecting at random. That's that is um, the most common issue with it. Yeah, that's happened a couple times, and then it won't connect again. Like I have yeah. to like restart the system, which is bizarre. Um, I, I, if that happens too many more times, I'm probably going to switch back to my normal Elite. Uh, Why for, have you decided to use the pack-in instead of your Elite? That's like how it feels. Okay, you like I, it better I like than the, the Elite. I like the D-pad a lot. Ah, okay, I can see that. Because even on my Series 2, the D-pad is really clicky. Like, yeah, it's, I mean, the D-pad's okay, but like, I like the D-pad on the, on the new, new controller a lot. So I, that's just sort of... I don't, it's, I don't, I don't know if I say it better, it's just different, but I have like... And I like the texture on it. Like, you know, yeah. might just, some of it might just be like a new toy. Yeah, phenomenon, part of it. You know. But I'll say this, um, Matt. Now that I have used the Elite Series 2 controller... Basically, as long as I have used the DualSense, the DualSense is the better controller, man, by a lot. And I got that packed in with my system. You can buy an extra one for like 65 bucks. Why are they charging so much for these elite controllers, Matt? Look, just your example. You are using the pack-in 
that you got with Series X instead of using your Elite controller because you like the cheaper one better. Why are they why are they so expensive, these Elites? Well, the mainly expensive because of all the extra pieces and customization stuff, which, again, I don't use. I didn't either. I took it part. all off. Like, I used, mm-hmm. I changed the tension on my sticks, and I chose the length of stick that I wanted yeah. and, like, the, the head and that the, I wanted. And the type of D-pad, right. and then I've never, I put the rest of it back in the box, and yeah. I've never all looked at it again. All those paddles and all that stuff, I just put them right back in the, I'll never yep. use them. And, and I'll say this, too. The paddles are removed. I've been playing Rocket League a lot. It's a game that I've kind of rediscovered because I have nothing to play on my Series X. I've been playing it a lot. And it's very intense. In fact, I'll say this. Rocket League is the only game that still exists that makes me move my body. Meaning, like, mm-hmm. jerking from, like, I've, I haven't done that in since I was, like, five. Like, playing a game and, like, moving as if I'm really in the world. I do that in Rocket League. But anyway... I have been playing Rocket League with it, and it's very intense. So you grip your controller. Those empty holes on the bottom where the paddles used to be hurt my fingers now, and there's nothing you can do. <laughs> they don't give you, like, something to plug those holes. So if you take the paddles out, there's just these weird, like, sw- there's a switch underneath there, mm-hmm. and the places where the paddles are supposed to go, I don't know. Like That's I, the funny thing is, like, I miss those holes because, like, I, I, like, play with them while I'm like waiting for load screens and stuff. Oh. <laughs> and I'm, and the fact the new controller doesn't have them. So I miss like the fact that it's all smooth down there is weird to me. That's funny. That's funny. But so anyway, having played with both controllers in intense situations in action games, the dual sense to me is the vastly superior controller. And it's like half less than half the cost of an mm-hmm. elite. So I don't know. Um, it sounds to me like Microsoft is having, there's some kind of an issue with their manufacturing that's causing problems. Like, how long will it be until the packing controller starts getting analog stick drift? You know? Like, I don't know. Like, I, I have, uh, I mean, I don't prefer the dual sense. I will always pick an offset stick controller if I have oh, the option. Okay. The stick placement. Um, like, like it, I, I prefer the stick placement where it goes. Uh, the DualSense is definitely the best PlayStation controller ever made. Uh, I do not like it better than the Elite, um, just in the sense of uh, where the where the pieces go. Um, the uh, the other question. I like everything on. about it better, honestly. Like I don't. The, I'll be honest with you, Matt. Moving sticks doesn't affect me at all. I have gotten to the point where I have transcended um, the idea that if a stick is one place, I play better, and if then if it's a stick is in another place. I am to the point where I can play just as well any game on a PlayStation no, controller. I can play I can just as well no matter what, but I just prefer it the other way. I don't even notice it, Matt. And I'll the be size honest with you, I do not even notice it anymore. And the size of the controller is better for my hands. Uh, the, the the shape of the controller still. I mean, again, DualSense 4, definitely improved. Still not there in terms of, of ergonomics to me. Like I, It's just not The only thing there. I don't like is how the the ends are chopped off. Yeah. Like, I don't know why the the ends aren't rounded like every other controller. It's like they just cut them off. So every once in a while, like, the corner of that will dig into my hand. But otherwise, mm-hmm. I love that controller. I love how wide it is. And I love how the prongs on the controller are kicked out. They're not vertical like most controllers. So you hold it, like, almost like a like a bicycle-like handle instead of holding it like this. And I feel like when I'm playing, I'm forcing my hands in like this to hold a normal controller the plate the dual sense it feels like it just sits in my hands the way they would normally rest on my lap um i love it and the the feedback and stuff 
way better than any Xbox controller. Um, I, I don't think it's any contest. And the controller is half price or less from the series controller. So do you think that this stuff that's been going on with Xbox controllers lately might hurt sales of, like, the Series 2 or the Series 3? Um, I don't know. Like, I really don't know what the controller market is in that regard. Um, or how I many, I guess the elites must be selling okay or they wouldn't keep making them. Um, but, uh, as someone who buys, you know, basically I will ride the packing controller until it dies and then choose something to replace it and hope that makes it through the next generation or the generation. Like I don't really follow the controller stuff too much. Well, hopefully they can um, figure out what's going on with the connectivity issues. Um, yeah, that'd be nice. It. The other thing I, this is a, this is a real specific use case. I will admit um, but, uh, there's a weird thing because I don't know if it's drift or just like a calibration issue, but like one of the games I tried to play on the series X is, uh, kingdoms of Amalur re-reckoning. Mm-hmm. And the way you run in that game is you either hold a, or you press a and it switches you to run and you run up and you can run around, you know, it's sprint or whatever. Um, you can choose to press a to activate sprint or hold a for sprint. And, on my elite, I can run, run, I can sprint and turn left and right and keep sprinting. Da, 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 da. On my pack in controller, if I try to turn left while I'm sprinting, sprint is canceled. Weird. And it won't work anymore. And I had that same problem because I was playing it. You got it for free, the re reckoning version for free if you already had it on Steam. And I was playing it on my PC with my Elite controller and everything was fine. And when I played it on the, on the Xbox One X, the same thing happened. And I was like, that's weird. What's going on? So I swapped my, so I have an Elite controller on my PC and an Elite controller for my Xbox. So I swapped them. And sure enough, one Elite controller had that problem and the other didn't. Weird. So I left that Elite controller out, out in the main room because that's where I was playing Re-Reckoning the most. And then when I switched to the Series X, I did, and so I'm obviously using the packing controller. Packing controller has the left sprint to the left stop problem again. And I, so I hooked up my Elite controller, sprints to the left just fine. Huh. So I don't know what the hell that is, Weird. but there is like a three pixel difference that that one controller can handle properly and the other controllers don't. And my only question on that is repeatedly, and I had the same question when I had the, the analog stick drift on my PS4 controller when I was playing Destiny and the menu thing would just fly over to the right side of the screen and I couldn't do anything. Why is, why is there no recalibration setting in these consoles? I don't why, know, man. Why can't I go into settings and <laughs> say, know. like, do the thing you should do with just the joysticks on PCs in the fucking 1992 and be like, center, upper left, upper right, center, done. Like, why yeah. can't you do you can that? You do that on why, What is that? Because they have to, because you have motion controls. So they right, because the motion controls have that. Yeah. Why, but why is that not standard interface? I don't know. It should be. It so weird to me. I agree. Because I feel like that would solve a lot of those drift problems, at least temporarily. Yeah, for sure. Just being it's better than having to buy another eighty dollars controller, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I don't know if you guys have had any problems. I know a lot of you guys probably haven't been able to find a Series X or a Series S yet. Uh, keep looking; you'll you'll get one eventually. Uh, so maybe you guys haven't experienced much of it. Um, I have never even used the packing controller for my Series X because you guys got me. A Series 2, and I was like, man, when I get my Series X, I am absolutely using that new controller that the Sifters bought me, and that's all I've used. So I haven't even, I don't even have any personal frame of reference on the controller. I held it uh, to see how it feels, and it does feel good. 
Um, I'll say that much, but I have not played anything with it yet. So, and it sounds like I won't <laughs> until my analog sticks start drifting. And you know, the problem with that is that, like, you know, it's internal. It's not like you can just replace a stick and like it works. You have to take the whole thing apart and like, who God knows mm-hmm. what's going on inside there. Nintendo has not been able to fix it. So, and it knew about it three years ago and still hasn't been able to fix it. If you buy a Switch system today, that Joy-Con is eventually going to get analog stick drift. It just is. So I I do feel the need to point out that my Saturn controllers, which are a quarter century old, still work fine. And so do my N64 controllers. They still work fine. I know they're simpler devices. And my Dreamcast analog stick still works fine. Yeah, Dreamcast still works fine. It's the way they're made. The way they're making them now, there's some Although Dreamcast did have that problem where the triggers would break if you looked at them wrong on certain models. I didn't have any problem, but I... I never had a problem with that, but I had some friends like their launch triggers broke the day of launch that and you could sad. not replace because they were all going you know, I so. would lose it I would really lose it if I bought a console well, I, so the, I, I, was, I had let some people borrow some of mine because I had the Dreamcast for a year at that point because I got the Japanese one the Christmas before so I had several controllers already so I was like lending people controllers until they could replace their launch controllers because the triggers broke now um, Matt do that's, you want that's one of the first times I think I can really remember seriously faulty controller problems now, in, a, Matt, in a game, in a system. Now, Matt, Microsoft wasn't asking, like, do you want the sticks offset? They were asking them, do you want, like, haptic feedback? Yeah, and, they like, want the, you want the haptic feedback and the touchscreen, basically. Yeah, so the, my question to you is, like, do you want that stuff in the Xbox controller? I don't care. Really? really. No. Wow. I, I turn the haptic stuff off on the PS4 at this point. I don't I don't find it particularly interesting. I turned it off for Call of Duty for competitive reasons, but I, I think it everybody on. turned it off for multiplayer and Call of Duty. Yeah. Like that's, it's a cool trick, but it's like it doesn't really it's add anything. It's like I can't yeah. squeeze the trigger. <laughs> like, yeah. I just turned it off. But for everything else, I still leave it on and I love it. I think it's great. I haven't really noticed it much. Like it's just you know, either if I notice it, I probably will turn it off. Like it's it's but I you know it's like finding Miles Morales. Like I don't I don't know. I a vibrating thing in my hand does not particularly translate to something visceral on the screen to me. Like I, I, I don't have whatever what that connection thing exists. I don't, I don't have it really. It's, it's fine. I don't, it doesn't bother me, but like, I don't, I don't care. Um, the touchscreen thing is okay. Cause like, I guess it gives you, it gives you a, you know, it's not every PS PlayStation game or PS4 game uses it, but I do kind of appreciate that that the touchscreen kind of gives you four more buttons or five more buttons in a way, yeah. six more buttons actually, because yeah. you can press either side of the touchscreen, you can swipe up, down, left, right, so it yeah. gives you a lot more uh, control options. So that wouldn't be a bad thing to have. It's on, better on, than on the, the, the Switch controller playing Monster Hunter Rise, where you're like, right. let me see, yeah. I hold L1, R2, and that, and then I hit eh. like it's insane, and you're supposed to do it on the fly while you're getting attacked by like a gigantic creature. Yeah, it takes some getting used to. So anyway. Those are the latest updates on the Xbox controller. Um, if you're having problems with yours, I have not seen anything that will like where you're supposed to send it to, or there's there is a class action lawsuit for the Series controllers, but I don't think anything like that is launched yet for the pack-in for Series X. So keep your ear to the ground. Stay at sifted.net. We'll have updates for you as soon as any of that stuff breaks. But for right now, you're just gonna have to sit tight and hope that your controller isn't one that ends up getting one of the problems. Uh, next up. We're going to talk about CES. Yes, it actually happened. Um, but like most shows that happened or tried to happen or, or may or may not happen this year, it was all virtual. But CES probably should be virtual anyway, Matt. Let's be honest. If there's any convention that could be virtual, it should be CES. It's a consumer electronics <laughs> show. So if any industry can figure out how to do a good virtual 
comp press conference, it would be CES. And I will say this, I didn't notice any difference, Matt, between <laughs> CES 2021 and CES 2020, because for our purposes, we're not going to sit and watch like a press conference no. for Samsung's TVs. Like we get the stuff that, that is announced and then we talk about it and all that stuff still happened anyway. <laughs> and truth be told, CES, you know, over time has become less and less and less about gaming. Um, but in 2021, there was some big stuff and probably most importantly, as usual, Sony was at CES. And every once in a while, Sony will drop some little nugget at its CES press conference related to its PlayStation business, and that was the case again this year. Didn't show any new games, didn't show any new hardware, but it did show a trailer. And at the end of the trailer, it just dropped these release dates for, like, every PlayStation 5 game is coming in the next, like, 12 months. Well, as it turns out, some of them are not coming in the next 12 months. Um, let's see. Most importantly, I think what most people care about, and Matt, you brought this up earlier, Ratchet and & Clank and Horizon Forbidden West. Undoubtedly the two most anticipated PS5 games of the year, if you're assuming that God of War isn't coming as Matt is. Um, and God oh. of War is not on this list. <laughs> no. you're, that's a good point. It is not. Um, but Sony did confirm at CES that both Ratchet and Horizon Forbidden West are targeted for 2021. So they've been sweating it. You can probably relax. I wouldn't even be surprised if we get Ratchet before we get to E3. Um, yeah, I think I think Ratchet's the first half of the year, no doubt. That's my guess. Um, and then they just Horizon might slip. I'm I, I the Horizon. I think they're going to try to make it. It's been enough time, hopefully, but you never know what the COVID thing is going to do. Yeah, like I, I wouldn't game. be I wouldn't be super shocked if we're playing Horizon in February. That would suck because let's be honest, PlayStation has had like terrible Christmases, like a couple yeah. in a row now, <laughs> like. It needs to have a decent Christmas, particularly the first Christmas, or, well, second Christmas, really. But first Christmas where it's readily available for everyone for the PlayStation 5. Um, yeah. It needs to have a big holiday season. Yeah, yeah. they're going to need something more than just another Assassin's Creed or whatever yep. to be booing this thing. Yep. And so, also, hidden in that same little tiny script were the release dates for pretty much everything. Um, and not hard dates, more like release windows. So, Kenna... Bridge of Spirits, a game that's really caught my eye. In fact, yeah, I'm, I'm, I was very disappointed that slipped out of launch window. Yeah, yeah, like I, I, I'm not that surprised because it is an indie game. No. It seems like the indie well, industry we'll played that. Yeah, it seems like indie developers have been hit harder by COVID than some of the big boys because they don't have the resources to find another way. They can't just yeah, like you gotta, you snap gotta, their they fingers. Gotta the inf- they got to invent the home infrastructure kind of out of whole cloth. Yep. Basically. And so I, I think indie games are probably going to continue to be delayed for quite a while. Uh, Kenna was one of them, but it wasn't delayed that much. It's coming in March. So just in a couple more months, we'll be able to play that. Um, and here's the great thing, Matt, that I realized is that Sony has staggered these, so we're getting something kind of every month, like a new exclusive or at least a console or timed exclusive yeah. every month. Um, next up, Little Devil Inside is coming in June. Um, Solar Ash is coming in July. And then Ghostwire Tokyo and Stray, and that's that really awesome game about a cat, are coming in October. And then here's the bad news. Squares... Square Enix's, I still call them Square sometimes, Square Enix's Project Athia was delayed out of 2021, but not too long. It's actually January 2022. So 
we'll be playing that about a year from now. But then, really, the really bad news is that yeah, I'll I'll bet against that one too. Yeah, it's, it's square. Probably I mean. a safe bet. Uh, and then the other one that'll bring a tear to your eye is that Capcom's Pragmata has been delayed all the way to 2023. So I don't, what what when, what was that one? I don't remember what that was. It's hard to even describe it. Um, I didn't load it in because I knew I wasn't going to talk about it much, so I can't even show it to you, unfortunately. Um, but anyway, those are the release dates. Sony has basically stacked them in a way that there's something that pretty much you can only play on PS5 every single month until at least October, and that's when you're assuming you're going to get Horizon Forbidden West in November and, God willing, God of War Ragnarok in the same month. Although the more I think about it, the less likely it does seem. I will. Yeah, that I don't. I, I mean, I probably shouldn't have said anything, so you'd pick it for your fantasy team and. Well, the other thing, Matt, torpedo you, yourself. But this uh, isn't just. Um, well, I wouldn't. Have, I probably wouldn't pick it anyway. But but this isn't just like people thought it was coming in 2021, or Sony Santa Monica said that they want to get it out in 2021. The debut trailer for God of War Ragnarok says coming in 2021 in it. It's That's the last thing it shows. So this isn't like some people are hoping it's coming. That's what they said. That's what it says in the trailer. So, yeah. It, yeah, you're still hoping, though. Hope springs eternal that the, the original release date for your no-game footage teaser holds true. <laughs> like, okay. It's been in development but, for four years, though. I mean... The, the fact that there's no footage for that game doesn't concern me at all. Um, obviously, oh, it's going to be great one way or the other, but it ain't going to be out this year. Yeah. Like, it's, there's I'm no going to hold out hope. I'm going to be a glass half full guy. You can be glass half empty until we know for sure. Um, so anyway. Uh, Wish in one hand, shit in the other. See which fills up first. <laughs> I love that. Uh, so anyway, if you're a PS5 owner or you're thinking about becoming a PS5 owner, there's going to be something that only you can play on your PS5 pretty much every month of the year yeah. and when you think about ces on, you usually don't get announcements that big at ces from sony no my, and my bet on ratchet is april yeah i think we're gonna get ratchet in april so you don't think they're worried about getting it out this fiscal no i don't even know no, what sony's fiscal so. is it may be december it may not even i be. think it is march but i know I, th- I think we'll see it in april okay um hey, I they just did fine the they did just fine this fiscal yeah <laughs> absolutely they did and they're gonna continue to they're gonna sell ps5s as fast as they can make them. That's pretty much yep. the truth. Uh, next up from CES, uh, the RTX 3060. So I'm sure all you guys have been watching all these new NVIDIA cards being announced, and they're crazy expensive. They're like $1,300. And then you're like, well, maybe I would spring for one of those. But then you hear that you can't get them because Bitcoin's price is going through the roof, and all the bit miners are like taking all the cards and there's like a way to, it's just insane trying to get a card. And then if you can get one, they're crazy expensive. But the RTX 3060 is going to retail for $329 and it destroys every 10 series card. So if you have had a GTX 1080 all this time, like I have, and and I'll be honest, my GTX is still pretty good. I, I'm. It's not like I'm pining to get a better card, but I'm thinking about it. And when I saw this card... I started thinking a lot harder about it. $329 for something that will destroy my GTX 1080. You can't even get a GTX 1080 for $329 now. Go try to buy one on Amazon. You can't find them. You have to buy them secondhand, and they're like $500. So to me, this is a big deal. Um, I need a new card. I have had that card now for like five years, Matt. That's crazy to think about. It used to be... 
I've had uh, we're coming up on May, May, you know, a few months. So that this this PC I have will be six years old uh, in a couple months. Yeah, because I built I built it for Witcher Witcher three. Yeah, and my it still 1080, works okay. Yeah, it's my 1080 is still fine. Like I'm not like hardcore PC gamer where I need my rig to have like liquid cooling and all this crazy crap. And I need mm-hmm. the best, like as long as it runs. I mean, I do crisp. have liquid cooling, but, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you don't need it. You just wanted it. Right. <laughs> no, I just actually came with the components I bought. It, oh, was, okay. it, was, uh, it was, it wasn't a choice really. It was just what I wanted and had it. Yeah. Well, I I am pretty much ready to get a new card. I'm, I want to wait a little bit because I just put down a <laughs> yeah, huge I can, chunk. I on- can be convinced to build a new one this year. Like, you know, depending on what we see, what comes out, how, what the because look like that's a great price on that card, but it just means the Bitcoin people are going to buy it even faster. Oh, you I know. know. So that's what I was getting at. Slowly was that it is coming out at the end of February, but good luck getting one. Like it's very frustrating following Nvidia. It's press conferences, it's press releases, it's announcements, it's tweets, because you get so excited. You're like, man, you guys are making some awesome stuff, and like some of the prices now are starting to make a little more sense. And then you go to try to buy one, and you can't. Like Bitcoin is the worst thing that ever happened to PC gaming, in my opinion. <laughs> it really sucks yeah. that they're hogging up all the cards, man. And like they're making so much money off of Bitcoin, they don't care. Like they'll pay it, they'll pay the full price, no problem. So there should be the captures for buying one of those cards should ask you like a really obscure video game tri- trivia yeah. question. That's, like that's it's on the a captcha timer. before you can buy it. Like the captcha yeah. should be like video game trivia. It's on a timer, so you can't Google yeah. it. You need three seconds. You have to. And it has to be a one word answer or whatever. That would weed out so many people. You could actually do that across a lot of things at retail if you think about it. To get rid of like the scalpers <laughs> and like the people who are just trying to make money off of stuff. The bots but, and, and stuff. the bots. Yeah, you could get rid of a lot of people doing that. Um, but the way I'm looking at it right now, Matt, like. I would be surprised if you're able to buy one of these like before the end of the year. Like my guess is like around the holidays, you might be able to pick one up. It's but it's like this awesome thing that I want and that I want to spend three hundred and some dollars on, and I can't. It's really insane how where things have gone with pre-ordering and all that kind of stuff at this point. So it's disappointing. I got really excited and then I started thinking about it practically, and I was like, "What am I getting excited for? I'll never get one of these things. Like, who will get one?" Yeah. I mean, my brother-in-law has had pretty good luck getting a lot of the 10 series How? stuff. Uh, he just camps the digital lines, basically, and when they go up, he pre-orders it. And then, like, he pre-orders it. He pre-orders them and then asks if anyone wants it, basically. Like, he gets stuff he doesn't need and, like, will sell it off to other people that need it. Or, like, he'll like or like or he'll text me and be like, oh, I got this, and do you want one? And I'm like, no. And if we don't find anyone who wants one, he just cancels the pre-order. Well, Matt, if um, he gets an RTX 3060, you have a buyer right here, bro. Signed, I'll sealed, it. and delivered. He <laughs> like, already built he built three PCs. I'll uh, even kick him some extra uh, cash. I'll give him like an extra 30, 40 bucks or something like that if he manages to score one for me. I mean, I'll probably cover shipping, but uh Well, I'll pay the, the shipping too as yeah. well. But the uh I mean he built three PCs last year with wow. all these cards for one for him, one for my niece, and one for my sister. Um my sister's playing Swotor again. Wow. Um, on, on her brand new 10, you know, like 1080. <laughs> like, I was like, oh, I bet the funny. shadows look great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, this new car does do all of the latest stuff. I believe it has like 13 yeah. cores or something insane. Like, 
Yeah, it's it's all. It, I mean, I think money, it, can, it can qualify as like a second gen RTX card. Yeah, really. Yeah. So I'm stoked on it. You guys should be too. I'm sure a lot of people out there are like me. They still have their 1080, and they're like, "When am I going to upgrade this thing?" This is probably your best opportunity to do it. To be perfectly honest. Yeah. I mean, I I did some some benchmark comparisons a little while ago just to see kind of how my dual Titan X's are stacking up to like modern stuff. And like other than the kind of the shader differences and the and obviously the ray tracing inability. Um, they're still pretty competitive yep. in terms of like, you know, if you're, if you're running stuff at 1440p like I am, because I don't have a full 4K monitor because I sit too close to warrant that. Uh-huh. Um, like they still get it done. Like, especially, and especially when you consider like, I'm not playing like the high powered multiplayer stuff. Yeah. Like my, my most anticipated PC game of the year is Baldur's Gate 3. <laughs> and this thing runs that <laughs> just fine. Push it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Definitely not. Um, so yeah. Yep. Uh, let's see what else um, from CES. Uh, Stadia. And GeForce Now are coming to LG TVs in 2021. I just bought my LG TV last year. <laughs> and honestly, based upon like the press release, it doesn't sound like I'm going to get Stadia and GeForce Now on my TV. But I will say this, Matt, another Pactor prediction coming true. He said this stuff was going to get loaded onto TVs. And we'll see if anybody cares. Yeah, I mean... Because you're still going to be buying full-price games on Stadia to play on your TV without any ownership that could go away as soon as you lose your TV. Like it, And you're definitely never a, downloading anything to your TV. No, There's no hard drive not. on that thing, so it's all streaming. That's it. That's all you're going to get. Um, do you think it will move the needle for Stadia or GeForce now? No. Not at I, all. I think most people are never going to know what's on there. Do you think if they bundled in a controller with the TVs, it might do better? No, because no. whatever control, whatever controller they'd bundle in would suck. Yeah, but the people who are going to do this, they, I don't think that they're all that discerning. Minutes. Right, I know. They, they, <laughs> I know the, the the mythical person who wants to play high end 4K cutting edge video games, but doesn't when owns a four thousand dollar television, but doesn't want to buy a game console. Yes, <laughs> I, I'm aware of the Stadia Target demo. Um, I it's again. I'm I'm saying it again. Pro, a solution to search of a problem. Like it's just not a. I still can't play God of War Ragnarok, so fuck it. How far do you think this stuff is going to go? I mean, do you think all the other manufacturers are going to follow suit and start putting it in their TV? They might. Too? I mean, this could be the new 3D, you know? Yeah. Like, TV has it for a few years, and yeah. then they realize nobody cares, and, they're and, using it, and they just sort of phase it out. Yeah. Yeah, it's like my old plasma TV that's sitting five feet away from me right now in yep. the corner. Mine's, like, right, right on the other yeah. side of the laptop. Yeah. Um, I have no idea where the 3D glasses are, but it came with them. Well, I have mine, and they've like malfunctioned. Like they've mm. they've completely the lenses have gone completely black. Like ink had like leaked across the lens. I don't know. And then I googled uh, cause it because the LCD, th- yeah, the LCD thing must have cracked. And I yeah. googled it, and everybody is like, all of ours did it. And those glasses yeah. were crazy. They were like like a hundred dollars a pair. Yeah, if you got more, like yeah, I got was, the Panasonic legit ones, and they were a hundred dollars a pair. I asked for them for Christmas. I got two pairs, one for me and one for my wife. And yeah, they're I, uh, they're fancy, but like, and, and they do, they ruined. use like the sh- they use the shutter tech yep. too, like yep. like the old Sega Master System. Yep. Yeah, um, didn't last. which works. Like it, it it looks pretty good, and you don't lose any color. But like, I never did it just because like I didn't I don't I don't watch the 3D stuff that much, and my girlfriend can't see 3D, and it makes her sick. So I wasn't going to spend a hundred dollars on a pair of glasses for someone who wasn't going to use them. So. Screw it. Yep. Like it, it, it was, it was a non-starter. Like the closest thing 3D tech ever came to being usefully integrated was the 3DS. Um, it's, it's like if you don't have to put stupid glasses on, great. 
It's uh, funny watching this Stadia stuff and realizing how much stuff still hasn't launched. So they are going yeah. to finally launch that like suspend feature that they showed <laughs> at their debut press conference with Hitman 3. Um, right. And a yeah. lot of this stuff that we're seeing right now, I know you can't see the B-roll, but we're watching like the crazy YouTube integration and all the stuff that they taught. None of that stuff like is playing launched with still. other people, letting people take over your game <laughs> yeah. for you. All is like, you know. Yep. Still not How there. Jade Raymond, blink if you need us to come get you out. <laughs> like <laughs> Blink twice with your right eye only. Yeah, exactly. So I agree with you, Matt. I, I don't know this is going to move the needle all that much. I think it will help some, uh, but not. it's not going to be enough to, like, save Stadia yeah. or anything I mean, like it's that. I it's mean, it's the old college try. Like, I, yeah. you know, I, I can't blame him for, for give, taking a shot at it, but it's, it's not going to be, a, you know. Yeah. I don't even know half the fucking apps on my TV, and I've had it for three years. I like, know. I, you know. Like, I went and looked at the marketplace, like, two days ago, and I was like, I didn't even know we had all these apps on my TV. Uh, yeah. I actually they still got, don't have HBO Max, do they? What the fuck is that they about? They don't. They don't have it on PS. They don't have H or YouTube TV on PS5 yet either. They have no. it on. And the problem also, is like, they can carry apps over from Xbox One to Xbox Series. They cannot carry apps over from PS4 to PS5. No. They have also, to rebuild can, them. I, can I just, uh, as a, a small tangent, what the fuck is up with the PS5 store? Why can't I see sales on the <laughs> PS5 store? Like, what the hell? Like, this, they did the holiday sale, and I had to plug my fucking PS4 back in so I could see the fucking sale listing. It's ridiculous. Like, what is that about? <laughs> it's not even functional. Like, I, you, like I, I would have bought something. One of my complaints they did fix, which was it was even hard to find the free games for PlayStation Plus. They did fix that. It's yeah, that like, has its own panel now, at yep, least. Yeah, so I was like, like, thank you. Yeah. But like th- that, that PS5 store is shocking, shocking. You can Again, look at all the they PS5 had to games. Everything for PS5. Everything you can look at all the PS4 for games. You can look at all the free games, and that's it. Yeah. Like you can't look at deals. You can't yeah. look at movie. You can, it's it's bizarre. Yep. It's not even close. It's amazing. Yep. Um, and then the final thing from CES 2021 that I wanted to bring up is Arcade One Up. If you guys are familiar with them, right. They, they are reviving like really old arcade games for for purchase for home, um, and they announced a few new cabinets. They announced Killer Instinct, Dragon's Lair, and a couple others. So if you've been pining, you, you didn't you didn't get the big one there. What big one? X Men. Oh, you thought that was X-Men. the biggest one? <laughs> That's the by far. I guess by it is. far. Yeah. That is a lost license. It's a it's by Konami, so people thought it was for, gone forever. And that is a and great a arcade six, game, and too. it's a six player game. So people were like, you know, you assume it's never going to get see the light of day. Um, but yeah, that was the one that had the most buzz. Was that X Men's coming back? And they're and doing it Captain is a great America. arcade game as well. I mean, I yeah. I can't tell you. And they're doing Captain asking. America and the Avengers, which is one of my old favorites. I wouldn't suggest spending a couple hundred dollars on it, but yeah. like. That's the problem is like these things only do one thing. I mean, you can, you well, the can killer hack instinct and cabinet on it. actually is kind of like a rare cabinet. It has two killer instinct games yeah. and then some battle toads and stuff on it. Um, they're trying, I think to get more on these. Cause you're right, man, you're spending a ton of money to play one freaking game, which seems insane in 2021. Well, there's a few, but like the most, the most notable one they've ever put out to me is the star Wars one, um, which has star Wars empire strikes back and return of the Jedi the old arcade games, mm. because that those games use such a specialized controller yeah. that there's no real other way to play them properly. Like Tron, you'd have to have them build a cabinet for Tron, Tron because with it the, used with a very specialized controller. Thing. Yep. Or uh, I believe you can also double the uh, the Star Wars cabinet can also play Road Blasters properly. Okay. 
um, so which is another another rare nothing extra, I guess. Right. It's a, I mean, you better really love those games, and the problem is that the they're not that great. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's the yeah. thing is like it's just not that they're not that they're not worth that kind of money. Um, the best use of those would be if you have friends who are willing to play a lot of fighting games. And like, cause they do a lot of good fighting games, like three pack collections and that, and you yep. get a nice arcade set up that way. But yep. I guess overall, what I would say is if you're someone who has an awesome man cave, I'm jealous. Um, and you're looking to buy arcade like machines, you should probably keep an eye on arcade one up. They, it appears that they're doing well enough that they're going to keep expanding. Yeah. Um, and they're the best man, like kind of balance of like quality hardware versus cost. affordability. Yep. Um, and they got the official licenses, so it's not piracy. And they switched to better sticks recently, so uh, a couple of years ago. So, um, and you can mod them pretty easily if you want to put other stuff on them. So, like, it's a it's a solid choice. Yep. Uh, and that's it for CES 2021. Those are the big gaming headlines from the show. It's not out of line with prior CES. Uh, that's just kind of how it is. Um, I'm just happy we got those release dates from Sony. That, to me, is like a big bonus. Yeah, that's way more than you would expect out of CES is a bunch of Sony release dates, for sure. All right. It's time to move on to our last topic of episode 242. I should add, 242 is a special number for me. I'm a big fan of the group Front 242, old industrial group from Wax Tracks Records. Um, Some of you guys know who they are. Uh, So today, when I was preparing, I was like, man, if I was still playing music... Before our show, I would just play Front 242 the whole freaking time. So I couldn't do that. So when this show is over, go listen to to some Front 242. Um, Our last topic of this show is actually, and you guys probably saw already on the lower third, is going back and looking at a game that has been out for a while. Uh, And that game is Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. It is the augmented reality slash RC take and in fact, let me just get the trailer going here for those of you who may maybe forgot what it is. It is an RC AR combo uh, of Mario Kart, where you literally have a little RC car that drives around in your home. Um, it launched and sold out immediately, and Amazon never restocked. I put it on my Amazon wish list for Christmas, never dreaming that I would get one because even at that point, they had not been restocked. Well, my sister saw my Amazon wish list. And became a sleuth and started looking for it. And she found them. GameStop restocked them right before Christmas. And she got it for me for Christmas. So I have been playing this game. Well, I wouldn't say I've been playing it for the last two weeks. I played it for a couple days after I got it. I wouldn't say I've been missing it, Bob. (laughs) Uh, Just before we get started with my impressions on this, um, it's 100 bucks, And... When with a hundred for a hundred bucks, you get the cart and you get basically a bunch of Nintendo Labo folded cardboard stuff. So it's interesting because the way the gates are in this, they all fold up into these little things, so they fit into this nice little box. You can totally see Nintendo Labo all over this thing. And then the other part too is that the cardboard stuff that you create and then set up, it works with AR, so it will do like visual overlays on your screen, like. Basically, like you can see right there, like the, the, the arrows pointing to the right that are actually like done in the game. They're not just seeing what's on the camera on the cart. Um, and then if you want an extra cart, like you're seeing right there, well, you can't just go buy an extra cart. You have to buy the whole pack again. You have to buy the Luigi pack. So if you have two kids and you want them to be able to race together, you're going to spend $200 for this. Um, and to be fair, you're going to need two switches anyway, so you might as well get two copies of the game. 
Yes. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. But here's the thing. The game doesn't cost anything. You can download it. Anybody can download it right now for free. Um, it's on the eShop, but the game has to, or the cart has to activate mm-hmm. the game. So when you start setting everything up, the you go through this like setup process, and then the cart does like this weird authentication. It also updates the firmware of the cart. So the cart is updatable. There's a USB port on the cart um, that you can plug the USB cable into, and you use that to charge it, but you can also use that to update it. Although my firmware update was done wirelessly with the cart because it does connect with your home Wi-Fi. And allegedly, supposedly, that's how you're supposed to communicate with the cart, but I have serious suspicions that that is not how the thing works because of how it worked for me. Um, The first thing I will say about this is... I did have a lot of fun with it. Um, the, mo- the fun I had with it was designing the course. And fortunately, when I got this, my wife had gone home for Christmas. I did not. I stayed here. So I was kind of like a bachelor over the Christmas break. And I could basically do whatever I wanted with our apartment. Thank God. Because you need to be able to do that. I started setting up the course, and I started having a lot of fun. Um, And the fun is in looking around your apartment or your house for objects that you have that you can use to make a fun Mario Kart course with. Um, And you can see here in their trailer, like you need stuff to be like guardrails to create kind of the track outline. So like I was grabbing like all my video games and all my DVDs and stuff like that and using that to kind of create the track borders. I created jumps. I created tunnels where like, the cars would go like under the chairs, underneath the table. I created like this thing where I had power cables hanging down from a table that would swing side to side as a hazard that you would go. I spent all day building my track all day. It was fun, but it was work. Um, not only that, once you have the track set up the way that you want it throughout your abode, then you have to go and you have to set up the gates. You have to make sure the gates are facing the right way so that the camera actually counts the gate when you go through it. But then you can have like a gate where you go through one way and then go through the other way. So there's all these like little weird kind of concessions that you have to take into consideration when you're building the track. Um, Once you build the track, the first thing you have to do is you put your car at the starting gate and then you drive your car through the track in order to create the trail that the game will follow. Um, And so I did that. I just literally walked around behind the cart while it was driving the course to make sure I created it as accurately as possible. The problem was that worked fine. I was able to follow the car around. It goes criminally slow. As you can see, I had to play on carpet. Um, And on carpet, it's almost hilarious how slow the cars go. Like, you, if you don't watch the screen that you're playing on, on your Switch, or you don't watch the TV screen, it's a joke. Like, if you just watch the cars rolling around, you're like, that thing is moving so stinking slow. But if you do play the game, and you look through that little camera it seems like you're going a million miles an hour because the camera is like shaking all over the place. And if you set up enough stuff on the side of the track, the sense of speed is like amazing. Um, And then if you, the reason the carts are so slow is because you have to be able to use turbo in the game. Either you fire it off yourself or you hit a mushroom. So they have to be able to denote that you're going faster than you were. So they can't just let the cart run at full speed 
at all times. Obviously, for battery life and things like that as well, they have to consider it. Um, so the cards move really slow when you're watching it, but when you're playing it, you have no idea. It seems like it's going like a million miles an hour around your living room. And you look up from the gamepad and you're like, what? <laughs> so anyway, I set up the course. I ran the course. I had it all set up. And then I put my card at the, finish, at the start line, got ready to race my first race, went back to where I was capturing the footage. And as you can see, this has been my experience playing Mario Kart Live. It is just one disconnection after another. Um, the, the game says that it's good for five meters, which is like 15 feet. Now, now you're seeing the track that I built throughout my, uh, my apartment. It went into like one other room. It was all in one room. And then the, just this part that you're seeing right now swung into our bedroom and then went right back out into that main room. And I was literally, the switch was around the corner from this room that you're seeing right now. And the cart just lost connection constantly. Even when I went back and sat in the same room that the track is in, once it got to an edge of the room, I would have to hold up my gamepad to get the reception out to the cart or it would just stop. It, in my opinion, unless you can just set this up in some like 10 foot by 10 foot area that you can just have set up there for a while, do not buy it. It takes so much time to set everything up, so much time to get the game to connect with the track that you made. Like here, you can see bubble wrap. I tried to make like different surfaces on the course, so I laid down a bunch of bubble wrap. Car couldn't even make it two inches into the bubble wrap. It just, as soon as it hit the bubble wrap, it just died. There's the ramp I created. You can't jump. So as soon as the cart leaves the ground and loses contact with the ground, the race ends. And you have to go pick up the cart, take it back to the finish line, and start over. So the jump wouldn't work. So I was like, all right, well, instead of having a jump, I'll create that ramp up, and then I'll create another ramp down the other side of it. And when I did that, just that tipping over the corner to go down the ramp was enough to set it off. So basically, you have to race the carts on flat ground pretty much at all times. You can't change up the surfaces because it won't make it across the surfaces. The tires are made out of rubber, and they are, like, you can push them down. Um, they're filled with air. Um, they're not, they won't, like, deflate, and they're not inflated with air, but they are filled with air, and they're rubber tires. So they do grip pretty well. Like, it went up the ramp okay, but it barely had enough power to get up it. Like, I don't think it would have jumped anyway, to be perfectly honest with you. So what I'm getting at with this is it is don't buy it. <laughs> it is... I'm glad somebody else bought it for me because I had spent my own money on this. I would be pretty much furious at this point. I will say this. I was pleasantly surprised by the game itself. Like when I did go in and wasn't capturing and just sat at that couch you're seeing there on the left and played it and it actually worked, I did have fun with it. And I was really surprised how much stuff is in the game. So there's tons of customization for Mario and for your carts. You can get new parts. Mario gets like new outfits. Uh, you get new horn sounds. Um, as you can see, there are four different engine classes. And I will say this, I turned it all the way up to 200. Game's still really slow. And you see there, like it says environment at the bottom of that menu there. That doesn't really change the track. What it does is it changes the overlays on the track. So if you choose, and later on I unlocked like other seasons, like you get winter eventually. Like it doesn't change the layout of the track or anything like that. It's just all the stuff that shows an augmented reality on like the gates is like winter themed, or in this case, it's summer themed. Um, so it, 
it does mix it up a little bit. Now you can see like all the stuff, all the customization, the costumes, the horns, the carts. Um, so there's a lot of content in this, but ultimately you build a track and then you race that same track over and over again. So if you play the Grand Prix in this, you only have your one track layout. That's all it can do. So instead of there being a different track in the Grand Prix, it just uses the different themes for the same track over and over again. Now, if you wanted to and you had the space, could you build a bunch of other tracks? I guess. Is it practical? Hell no. In fact, that is the one word I would use to describe this game in general. Impractical. And the other one I would use is broken because I could hardly ever get it to work. Unless you are in the most ideal conditions where you're in the same room, the cart never gets more than 10 feet away from you, you're going to have problems getting this to work the way that it's intended to work. And it's a shame because when it did work, I had a lot of fun with it. I was pleasantly surprised by a lot of it. But most people don't have a room that they can just give up to Mario Kart Live for like the next 30 days. Like it's just not practical so if your kids have like a playroom and you feel like you could set up a track in there and they won't completely destroy it sure then i think it's probably a good purchase but the tech to me ended up being incredibly disappointing um the the cart itself was really slow i feel like they're way overcharging for this like that cart should cost like 15 dollars. like there's no reason that it's literally a cart and cardboard that's all that's in the box that's it it's the cart and the gates, the cardboard gates. That's all you get. They're charging $100 for that junky RC car. I don't know if you guys know anything about RC. You can get a kick-ass RC car for $100, man. Like, it's a total markup. You can They're, get a really good AR drone for $100. You're absolutely right, you can. Yeah, I had a Parrot drone that's like 100 bucks, and they're amazing. So... The, the cost doesn't work out. The practicality for it doesn't work out. I did have fun with it while it lasted, but, like, I'm looking at it, and I'm like... My wife would never be okay with this. I had to completely take over our main living area just to build a track. And that was the funnest part, in all honesty, building my own track. That is something that they need to put in Mario Kart going forward. I had a ton of fun with it, doing it like in the real world, using boxes and DVD cases and cases of Coke and whatever else I could find around the house. I just grabbed anything and just started building a track with it and getting creative with it, thinking about, hmm, like, how can I use this? Like, that was really fun and really cool. But again, once you set up the track, that's all you're going to race until you set up another one all over again. Uh, it's just, it costs too much money. It costs too much time and the payoff just simply isn't worth it. So if you're like me and you wanted this, back when it was first announced and then it sold out and you couldn't get it and you're like, well, maybe it'll come back around. It has come back around, but I do not recommend buying it at all unless you have kids and unless those kids have a private area that's just set up for them to play. Otherwise, for me, it's a huge pass and I'm glad somebody bought it for me and I didn't buy it myself. <laughs> do you have any questions about, about it, Matt? Nope, that sounds pretty much exactly what I thought it would be. Yeah, like the, the biggest problem really is the signal. And I mentioned earlier mm -hmm. that they say it's like Wi-Fi and you do connect it to your Wi-Fi. You have to put in your password and all that stuff. And it does talk to the cart through Wi-Fi because that's how it updated the firmware on the cart. Mm. But I'm telling you- I would you, have to guess that the controls of the cart are Bluetooth. They though, are. Which is that's the exactly what it is. And so like I can tell because if, you're, if I would sit there and try to control it, you'd see the cart like jerking, like losing mm -hmm. connection. If I walked- behind the cart while I drove it. It was just flying all over the living room. So 
the the connection between the gamepad and the cart is Bluetooth. And as you guys all know, Bluetooth is janky. It drops all the freaking time. So it should have been running on Wi-Fi. And I feel like it's a little deceptive that they're trying to say it's like a Wi-Fi RC car because it's not. You only use the Wi-Fi to update the firmware. So there you go. That's Mario Kart Live Home Circuit. Um, I wish I could say I recommend it, but I absolutely don't. And I'm glad that I got it as a Christmas gift instead of something that I bought myself. All right, so there you go. That's Game Face 242. We got some time to answer some questions here. Let me put on my reading glasses so I can see this tiny print. The other thing is I have to look at chat on the iPad because all my screens here are tied up. Uh, Go at Sifted Games with your questions. It'll make it easier for us to pull them out of the chat amongst all the other stuff you guys have been talking about. And I'm sorry I've missed, like, all the Twitch Prime today. Okay, you guys are doing it now. I'm going to try to scroll up and see if I can thank some of you guys who did it earlier. Uh, Andy T. Monahan, thank you. Wampler13, thank you. Raphael Michael, thank you. The guy who did our shirts, thank you very much. Um, Commander Fett, thank you. Swanlin, thank you. On the uh, iPad, it's actually letting me go all the way up. That's awesome. Uh, Super Master Gamer, thank you. David5807, thank you. Lesteved, thank you. Um, he also gifted a sub to someone. Thank you for that. Um, and then JM Rain, making it rain as usual. What's up, man? I talked to him a good bit over the holidays. Hope you're having a good, ha- a happy new year. Uh, Johnny Hurricane just dropped a bunch of... You guys are awesome. We're kicking off 2021 right. Iviz, thank you for Twitch Prime. Um, who else? Gerzilla, thank you for Twitch Prime. Almer Fmurf. <laughs> That's a great name. <laughs> That's funny. Thank you for Twitch Prime. Uh, what else we got here? It looks like we hit the hype train again. Choo choo. Great job, guys. Sorry, unfortunately, I couldn't see it. It's so small and my eyes are going bad. So I, I apologize for not noticing it while it was going on. Sound Wizard, thank you for all the subs. You're the man. You're amazing. All right, let's get to some questions here. Wow, long Tiny, chat. Tiny 2K dropped a bunch of stuff there. Yep, there you go, Tiny 2K. Thank you for all the, the Tier 1 subs as well. You guys are awesome. Texture Glitch, thank you for Twitch Prime. Johnny Hurricane, thank you for Twitch Prime. Tiny 2K, thank you for Twitch Prime. Mike's Q, who does voiceover for us, thank you for Twitch Prime. This is awesome. Thanks, guys. This is really how we needed to kick off 2021. Um, and JM Rain just keeps making it rain, as always. All right, let's get some questions in here. I don't actually see any. Because everyone's... Oh, here's one from Congrim1. <clears throat> GameStop's partnering with Xbox has been proven fruitful for the shaky company. Uh, recently, Intox is setting up a digital storefront, allowing to sell or trade in your games digitally in the future. Does Sony and Nintendo need to address this with their own digital trading system to compete, or will it be a fad and struggle for the other platform holders to drag them to follow suit? Okay, the first thing I will say is I was wrong about this. Let me take the glasses off because everything's blurry if I, if I use them for anything but reading. I was wrong about this. When I first heard about this, I was pissed off because I thought that my Xbox had, had arranged some kind of an exclusive deal with GameStop. And I was like, that is a conflict of interest for GameStop to arrange an exclusive deal with just one of them. Well, then you guys asked Pactor about it, and he had a lot more information about it. And it is not an exclusive deal, meaning... As you bring up in your question, both Sony and Nintendo could strike the same deal with GameStop. So in that case, it is not a conflict of interest, and there's really nothing wrong with what either side has done. And I remember, I went off about this on a prior episode of Game Face. I'm here right now to tell you I was wrong. Pactor cleared it up, and I get it. So that out of the way, 
What's the practicality of Sony or Nintendo doing it? Hi. Um, they should do it. Will Nintendo do it? No. It will not partner with a retailer. It's not the way it does business. Will Sony do it? I absolutely think Sony's going to do it. Um, Pactor brought up, basically compared it to its marketing and its advertising. Um, he said, you know, Xbox is paying GameStop for any subscriptions to Game Pass that it gets and for any console sales. But Xbox also pays GameStop if it wants a poster for Halo Infinite by the door. There's all these things that these guys do with retailers already, and this really isn't out of line with that. So, <clears throat> will they do it? I would say Sony will, Nintendo won't. Can they do it? They both can. Um, what do you think, Matt? Um, yeah, I don't see Nintendo getting in on that. Um, it could be argued they don't need to, uh, but also, like, it's just not really their thing. Uh, Sony Microsoft, maybe the digital game sales thing seems odd. Like, I'm not sure how you'd really police that, I guess. Um, I would guess at some point you would, you, we will see some sort of digital sellback idea floated by one of them, but I'm not sure where that will come from or how it'll work. Um, I mean, I always assumed that this deal was kind of along the same lines of like their usual sponsorship promotional shit. Co-marketing, um, co-branding. It does. It yeah. does seem to have done okay by GameStop. I think their uh, their stock is up like double or something. It went up eighty percent in like one day. Yeah. yeah, they had a good. They had a good holiday. Their sales were down like three percent year over year or something like that for the holiday season. But overall, last year GameStop killed. I mean, the industry killed last year, and it's going to kill this year too. I mean, the first six months of this yeah. year are pretty much going to be just like all of last year. We're all going to be locked down. Although, although I can't help but note that, like, there used to be, like, 20 GameStops in Los Angeles, and now there's two. Well, that's that was why they said they were down year over year for the holiday season, because they don't have yeah. as many stores. They've closed, like, Literally nowhere stores. to go. Yep. Just people just don't have access to GameStop as much as they used to. So, anyway, there's the answer to your question, Congrim. Um, yeah, and I think... At least one of them will follow suit, absolutely. Um, here's one from Yakov226. What's up, man? Hope you had a good holiday season. Hi, guys. Any thoughts on the new Final Fantasy VII trademarks? And Kyle, any update on Silent Hill you heard about? Please give me some hope. Um, well, let's Silent tackle Hill, Final Fantasy VII first. The trademarks are... A lot of people I'm, think it's for like the second episode of the remake, right? Yeah, I and mean, I couldn't make really heads or tails out of what those were. Um, it could be anything. I mean, Square Enix does this. Like, it'll yeah. create, like, that core game, Final Fantasy VII, and it'll start creating all these weird little spinoffs off of it. I have I did terrible tracking that stuff with, like, Kingdom Hearts. Like, I have no idea what all the Kingdom Hearts games are. No, and also, and look, like, the, the what they've done with the, the alterations to the Final Fantasy VII story, like, they clearly open the door to alternate timelines and, yep. and stuff like that. So you, they could do spinoffs all fucking decade if they want to. Like it's, it, there is a non-zero chance that one of the remake installments will just be crisis core yeah. remade, you know, like it's all Possible. there. It's all available if they want to do it. Think about all this, the stuff, the spinoffs they've done in the past, like with advent children and then yeah. final fantasy 15 had like all those weird, like things with subtitles. Some of them were just like, movies like yeah it's, it's very like, hard the to movie, follow and anything about the backstory because we're not going to tell you anything about how the fucking world or the story <laughs> works like it's just stop it yeah um, what about silent hell complete story Silent Hill, i haven't heard anything in forever like okay. it's just you know 
I, who knows if it even still exists or if there's, you know, I would hope we'd hear about it this year. If we don't hear, if we don't hear about that project again this year, uh, I'd say you can go ahead and assume it's dead. Okay. Here's one from Scorfear. If Miyazaki adapted Lord of the Rings into a Souls game, would it be the best licensed game ever? Uh, what would concern? What concerns would you have? What boss would you look forward to? Well, I obviously can't tell you the boss. Well, actually, I guess I can. Yeah. Um, I don't think it would even be the best licensed game that month. Um, <laughs> I don't think the Lord of the Rings license translates to Miyazaki's design style very well because yeah. uh, he does he does he does like kind of folded in kind of mazy Metroidy worlds, and Lord of the Rings is a big it's open brawling. battle yeah. story. Yeah. Um, um, a Lord of the Rings Musou game makes more sense. It does. You think it about makes it. much more sense. Um, Was there one of those already? No. I mean, you could I argue think that I a couple of those. One for some reason. No, there was there was a you know Blade Storm. I guess is, has a little bit of element to it. Yeah. Uh, they did they did RTSs. There was uh, you know the the Shadow of Mordor, Shadow of War games, kind of a little bit. You know, you, you fight a lot of guys at once in those in the castle battles. Um, you could do that. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't really, I don't know. That's not really that's, Miyazaki and Lord of the Rings is not really something I would consider putting together. Also, I like his, I'd prefer his work to remain original. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I think I may like what he does better than Lord of the Rings. I'm not granted. Um, I'm not a big souls game fan, but as far as like the worlds and the creatures and stuff, I don't know. I think I may like it better. I don't know. I mean, I obviously, I mean, I think the Lord of the Rings movies are fantastic. Me I don't too. have a lot of use. I don't have a lot of use for the book. Um, I never did. I like the Hobbit book. I don't like the Lord of the Rings book very much. I think Tolkien's a boring writer uh, who created a really good world. Um, no denying that. But uh, <laughs> that has inspired everything else. Because think yeah. about it: without Tolkien, does anything else? Oh, yeah. exist? Uh, high, high fantasy. <laughs> yeah. High fantasy, as we know, it goes entirely back to Tolkien yeah. and his, his reinterpretation of basically the the nibble ring, nibble and the 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 ring cycle. They, there's a lot of Wagner in that in that story yep. um so yeah you owe him a huge I, I mean it's funny how people don't know where things come from i saw a, uh, i saw a post earlier this week where someone just real like played their first game of dungeons and dragons and like only just realized how influential dungeons and dragons is on video <laughs> games and i'm like uh, wow you have all that's a whole new world for I mean, you there yeah, look, like, there's a lot of you, stuff that we take for granted like i i've really started realizing over the holiday season that you know, games that really bore me aren't going to bore everybody else. I've been playing these some of these genres for literally like 30-some years. There's lots of like 13-year-old kids out there that are like, I haven't played 500 hack and slash games like you have. I still mm-hmm. kind of like them. And so kind of one of my resolutions for 2021 as far as like working on Sifted is to be open more to the that idea that there are lots of people out there who have not played anywhere near as many games as I have and do not care about the same stuff that I do, the same genres I do. My resolution is to be more open um, to the idea that everybody else isn't going to be bored by the same stuff that I'm bored by, if that makes any sense. Um, so anyway, we'll, it, the proof will be in the pudding. You'll either see it in my conversations on Game Face and uh, Three Night Weekend, or you won't. Uh, but that is one of my goals anyway. Yeah, I would. I would uh, rather just play Elden Ring when it comes <laughs> down to it. I'd agree. Uh, we'll answer one more. Whatever that ends up being. 
Uh, we'll take one from Johnny Hurricane. Think the new Indiana Jones game will be first person or third person? Which would you prefer? I think it will be third person. Agreed. Because you want to be able to see him. Yeah, I don't honestly, I'm surprised they let them make Battlefront first person. <laughs> I'll be honest. Because it wasn't at first, like it was a third person game when the when the IP first launched. Well, you could, we could switch. You could, but by default it was third person. And mm-hmm. I think it, if you do get games that are going to be, where you have the option to be first person, I think they will default to third person going forward. I would even be surprised if the next Battlefield defaults to third person because you want to be able to see the character that you're playing as. It's why they spend so much money on the IP to be able to use it in a game. So I think it depends on the game. I mean, you know, Cyberpunk refuses to let you see your character until unless, unless you get in a, in a car. Um, uh, I don't think the next Elder Scrolls or Fallout will be third person. I mean, obviously you can play third person, but I've never played those Bethesda's games third person because it just don't, <laughs> don't work right yeah um that melee combat is janky enough as it is in first person you, you pull the camera back further I don't even know where my sword is anymore <laughs> um yeah. so I think it depends like what what what, what a game's built for like and it can be the ability to switch back and forth is 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 questionable in places I remember the first battlefront uh from dice you had to play pretty much in third person because it gave you so much more visibility in in the in like you could see, you you lost so much field of view by playing first person you could get blindsided constantly and like in third person you just look around corners yeah. you know like yeah. it was a complete huge advantage oh it is a huge advantage um, playing in third person in shooters is a major advantage you can see so much more of the map and like you said around corners like yeah you can't mix them up you can't let unless you force people to default to third person and if like look if you want to disadvantage yourself by playing first person go ahead but you can't mm-hmm. make a case where people are going to get an advantage if they choose the other one so like i would definitely prefer first person in vehicles yeah but yeah on foot third person is probably especially in a game like battlefront or indian jones where the part of the point is the character yeah and you want to be able to see who you're playing well i mean i mean another thing too though is if it doesn't have Harrison Ford's likeness doesn't matter as much. They, it will have Harrison Ford's likeness. I mean, yeah, that that's part of the contract. Like okay. he doesn't like no no one paid Harrison Ford for his face to be on that N64 game, but it was. It, I I promise. That's that, you sign your likeness work rights away forever as soon as you decide to be in a Lucasfilm thing. Yeah. Um as you know, John Boyega can be upset about how Rise of Skywalker went uh the rest of his life and I agree with him. Uh, but Finn is going to look like him forever, and he can't do anything about it. So that's just how, that's just what you sign when you join in. Okay. All right, that's going to do it for Game Face Episode 242, as in Front 242. Hope you guys had a great holiday season. Hope you're having a good New Year so far. Um, another New Year's resolution that we're having this year, we're trying to make sure we do Game Face as steady as possible. We heard your cries. Uh, over the holiday season. Some of you guys were complaining that you felt like you couldn't rely on it. That's a big thrust for us this year. That's why I ran TriCaster today. I think it went okay, Matt. We're at the end of the show. There were at least two places where I let a trailer run out, and there was black on the screen for a little bit. Um, But I feel pretty good. Like, for my first run, I think it went okay, Um, which is good because this is how we're going to do the show if Jared can't be here until COVID is over and we can hire other people to help us with TriCasting. So I think we pulled it off. It wasn't perfect, but I think we pulled it off, which is pretty cool. Um, Look, if you're listening to this show out on the wilds of the internet, we're everywhere. We're on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, (laughs) 
I think we're missing a few of them. But if you're listening to the show out on any of those services and you want to help us out, head to patreon.com slash sifted. That's S-I-F-T-D without the E. Um, if you're watching this on YouTube and you can't afford to uh, help us out on Patreon, you can give us a free $2.50 a month every month just by subscribing to our Twitch channel with Twitch Prime. It's easy. Once you set it up the first time, it literally takes two seconds. Um, and if you don't want to deal with that, you can also just subscribe on YouTube and become a member, and you'll get everything day and date with all our patrons. Matt, it was a great 2020. I look forward to doing 2021 <coughs> with you. I think it's going to be even better. I'm really excited for what's to come this year. Um, one thing I do want to mention is our fantasy drafts are happening on Tuesday, and Jared will be here for that. I need him here for that. There's no way I can try cast into mm. our draft at the same time. Uh, so our Matt and I's fantasy draft is happening Tuesday. I think it'll be about 1 p.m. Pacific. Um, and then on that same day, the Sifted Fantasy Challenge will launch, and you'll have the chance to go and put your picks in. So you might want to start doing some research for that over the weekend. Once again, congratulations to Polak, who won last year. So he ended up picking his two games, and I'm in the process of sending him those. Uh, but remember, Tuesday, Matt and I will be doing our draft, and that is also the day that we'll be launching the Sifted Fantasy Challenge for 2021, where you can win some free games for having some fun. Um, if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Dinfire. If you want to find Matt on Twitter, you can find him at mkyle. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys. You guys are great on the chat. Tons of Twitch Prime. Tons of donations. Tons of subs. You guys are awesome. We love you guys so much. Game Face is up and 